Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. It's been a few weeks, so I'm really rusty. I got to get like the oil can out, like the Tin Man and Wizard of Oz or something. I hope I don't fuck up today's show, man. I, I'm very rusty, so we'll see how it goes. We're going to get to the meat and potatoes of the show, and it's a very tasty meat and potatoes in a minute, and we'll get to that. But I would be remiss if I neglected to mention our sponsor, and they are an old sponsor. Who's back? Thank goodness. I can keep my lights on. You wonder why we went three weeks between shows? Because we didn't have any sponsors. I couldn't pay my staff. They're back and we're back with them. It's virgilsvineyard.com is where you go for the smuggler's son. That's the smuggler's son. You'll see it on my studio table here in just a moment. It is my favorite wine. The original sponsor of the Spiro Avenue show is back. They took pity on me. Check them out, virgilsvineyard.com to get that bottle of Smuggler's Son. It was my favorite red wine for years before they were a sponsor. That's a true story. My closest friends all know I've been talking about this wine for a long time. And don't forget, discount code for you guys, because they love me and you. If you use the discount code Spiro, that's S-P-I-R-O, at checkout, you get a 10% discount. This is a wine that tastes like a $200 bottle of wine. It ain't that. Get to it. Check them out, virgilsvineyard.com. Spiro is the discount code. So let's get to this. I'm excited. And I'm excited in a macabre way. I'm excited in the same way. I'm excited to see people get hacked up during a really uh, campy horror movie. So uh, this is a macabre interest of mine, this Detroit Lions team. And it's never a, a happy time, really. There's very few happy moments. So the Dan Campbell era is almost here. We're on the doorstep. I don't consider it here yet. I don't consider it here until games, like actual games, are played. So to me, by my metric, it hasn't started yet, but we're on the eve of it because nothing else matters but actual games. But we're about two weeks away from that opener at Ford Field, hosting the San Francisco 49ers. I am ready to double down. I'm not here to double down. I'm not double downing for the sake of double downing, but I'm going to do so anyway. I'm going to say it now. This is not going to work. And I've said it from the beginning. So let's look at this. Dan Campbell was hired back in January to coach this team. And days later, I think it was two days later, we have Sam, some know him as Stick Day from Woodward Sports. He's on the show. It was perfect timing. It was already on the books. They hired Dan Campbell. Here comes the biggest Lions fan I know in Detroit sports media. He's on the show. And here's what I said right after that hire back in January. This is not going to work. The people, you know, like you and the media, the fans that are advocating for this have no evidence. It's just give it a try. Uh, He's tough. Patricia was awful. Couldn't be any worse. Those are not ringing endorsements. They're just not. You're giving me nothing to work with. (laughs) Obviously, I was not a fan. I was not on board from day one, and I stand by it. There's no evidence. There's no reason to believe this. So you you call me Justin Spiro the cynic, and everyone says I'm the bad guy. I'm the curmudgeon. I'm always so negative. By the way, watch our Pistons episodes from the last couple months. Couldn't find a more happy, positive guy on the planet. But so everyone says I'm the bad guy. I, I'm, I'm poo-pooing this beautiful era that's about to come and, and fall upon us in Detroit. So back in June, let's fast forward to the summer. This is about six months later. We have another talented guy in studio, Nick Baumgartner from The Athletic. And uh, I made this argument that uh, boring coaches work. This is, I'm, we're not going to rehash the entire take. 
But my take essentially was goofball coaches like Dan Campbell was showing himself to be in the early going historically don't work. So we talked about, we threw up this graphic and we were just saying, look at who actually wins in this league historically. And again, not going to go through everything, but number one, Don Shula, veteran of the Korean War. He literally went to church seven days a week, including on game days. George Hallis, number two, also a veteran, awarded the Bronze Star. Bill Belichick, look, just watch his press conferences. You don't need me to give you his resume. Tom Landry, another veteran, the third out of four names so far that was a veteran in the military. He wore a business suit and a fedora on the sideline. Serious guy, was as serious as a heart attack. And another contemporary, the second on this list, Andy Reid, a devout Mormon. I mean, he doesn't drink caffeine or alcohol. I don't know how crazy he can be. And for the most part, he's devoid of sideline emotion. So. Uh, again, this is sort of the picture of what it looks like. The, the highest level, and it's not all guys from the 40s and 50s. I have two contemporaries coaching right now on that list that don't fit this goofball, Rex Ryan, certainly Dan Campbell profile. So that's where I stood. So the Detroit Lions somehow, after years and years and years of opportunity to fix it, to do something different, are still somehow not a serious franchise. They still have somehow not made the right pivot. I don't know how it's possible. So defenders of this uh, rah-rah, let's go boys uh, tone that say, oh, they love this Dan Campbell thing. They love how funny he is, how silly he is. He's showing up with a helmet, the press conferences. They love it. Biting kneecaps. They're eating that up, right? They should take a look around the league. But you can, you can enjoy it. There's a lot of, I mean, I, I don't like Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Donald Trump either time. I thought he was kind of funny in some of his press conferences. But you can, I'm not saying you can't enjoy it. But if you think that translates, take a look around the league, because that's not true. So I'm going to show you just a little picture. I'm going to take some examples around the league of how intelligent, mature, winning organizations behave in key moments. So we'll start with this. San Francisco 49ers, fast, or I guess rewind, fast forward, to the NFL draft. They take Trey Lance third overall. This was like kind of the first surprise on that board. So this is the reaction of San Francisco 49ers leadership when they're calling to tell Trey Lance, you're the guy, and the immediate aftermath of that. So let's start there. What's going on? You ready to do this thing, man? Yes, sir. Welcome, welcome to the 49ers, buddy. Thank you. So happy to add you to our family, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah, congratulations, man. I'm going to pass you over Coach Shanahan, okay? Awesome. Thank you. What's up, man? What's going on, Coach? Nothing new. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm so excited, Coach. Yeah, very exciting there. Kyle Shanahan looks like he took an Ambien before that phone call. Not a criticism, by the way. That's a mature organization. That's one of the top five coaching minds in the league. That's an organization that's won titles. That's how they reacted. And we're not nitpicking. Let's go to another team with uh, multiple titles in my lifetime, the Denver Broncos. Patrick Sertan, ninth overall, stud cornerback out of Alabama. How did that phone call look in the Broncos' war room? What did that look like? Patrick. How you doing? This is George Payton, Denver Broncos. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Are you excited? Yes, sir. Good. I can't wait. Can't wait to get you here. If you're if you're half the player your dad was, we got a hell of a football player. Yes, sir. I, I was with your dad in Miami. I don't know if he knew that. Oh man, I, he told me stories. I mean, I'm so excited right now, man. I can't. Hey, all right, <laughs> we're fired up. You're the guy we wanted all along. So we're. Uh, we're going to turn the pick right now. You celebrate. Coach Fangio is going to come over here and say a few words, but we'll talk to you after. Celebrate. Enjoy your family. We're fired up, man. Okay. And tell your dad I said hello. Uh, yeah, man. We're fired up. Tell your dad I said hello. It's like a bus stop conversation. 
Not that exciting, not that riveting, right? Organization has won multiple titles. They're a mature, smart organization. We'll finish with the Ambien trip around the universe with our beloved New England Patriots, the ultimate curmudgeons, the ultimate curmudgeons in sports history, arguably. They take Mac Jones, quarterback 15th overall, and we want to bestow upon the audience now the uproarious excitement that took place in the draft war room of the New England Patriots when they called Mac Jones and celebrated uproariously in the aftermath. Matt, this is Bears and Jerry calling from the Patriots. Going well. Going well. Well, it's our uh, coming up on our pick here. Look forward to working with you the tides up here. Welcome to the Patriots. We're really excited. Everyone here. I've talked to a bunch of you. Yeah, they tell me they tell me you're a phenomenal person. It literally sounds like a funeral. It's like the hushed whisper of a funeral. So that's three organizations, a little very uh, varying degrees of excitement, enthusiasm, but all pretty stoic uh, at, at most. Little smile on John Lynch's face. Other than that, but as stoic as it gets, somewhere between bus stop conversation and hushed whisper at a funeral, where everyone's very upset and sad. Those are three organizations that have won multiple titles. That's what it looks like. That's not what our organization looks like in Detroit. What did we look like in Detroit? What did this regime look like? Let's play that. So we draft Penesul, who was, I guess, shockingly still there. I thought it was kind of expected that he might. But this is the reaction of Detroit Lions brats when they draft Penesul. Yeah, a little bit of a contrast there. So look, am I basing all of this on that contrast? No. But it's just one piece of evidence. And by the way, this is not an organization that deserves the benefit of the doubt on this kind of thing. They just don't. So look, I'm going to sneak this in one more time for the record, because this season's about to start. So there's a, someone's going to look stupid here. It's either going to be me, who said from day one and a half that this was stupid and would not work. And this is going to be another failed experiment. I might look dumb, or it's going to be all the people that love it that bought those uh, kneecap T-shirts. So I'm putting my foot in the sand. I'm jamming it three feet under. This is where I stand. I hope I'm wrong, by the way. I don't think I am. I, I hope I am. So I, I just I don't think this works. I think Dan Campbell's biting kneecaps thing is this generation's answer to Marty Morningweg zooming off on his Harley Davidson in the middle of practice on his second week on the job and leaving a befuddled Robert Porsche standing there wondering if the guy's coming back or not. That's this generation's that. That's, that I, this is the shovel is sharp. This is the bar is high. This, this is going to be in the lexicon of lionized coaches before the era even got started. Most of these guys, Morningweg, Marinelli, talking to people like they're in the military, they can't even get to the introductory press conference without being embarrassing. It's incredible. So I'm going to get to this. Enough from me. We have a frequent, although begrudging, guest in studio. And I'm going to tell you a quick true story about it. It's going to take 20 seconds. So I'm running down the list of what we're going to talk about tonight just before we go live. And he says, wait a minute. I, I turned you down for that beverage before. I, if we're talking about all this stuff, I got to run right for the bar and fill up. And I felt bad because I was drinking alone. And Billy Joel will tell you it's bad to drink alone. It's not as fun. He grabbed his drink. He's here. 
easily for me a top five guest. He's made every top five journalist list I've ever posted in the city of Detroit. He's Justin Rogers from the Detroit News, Detroit Lions beat writer. He's not a fan of me, but I love him. Justin Rogers, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. It's not that I'm not a fan of you. It's just this is probably a bottom five way I want to spend a free evening. (laughs) It's a 40-minute drive out here. Like, I got things to do with my life, man. I know, but but you're here. I am for you. I know. I I love you you for that. And you're begging. I I am persistent. I'm nothing if not persistent. And you'd be surprised. People, I've had a guest that came from Grand Rapids just to be here. I had a guest fly from California just to do this show. So 40 minutes, that's like, I live in BFE, man. So like 40 minutes, you're like on the low end for my guest chart. But the taxes? Taxes. Where do you live out here? What? What? Why, why, do, why do you live here? Because uh, my, well, my wife's family's from Rochester. It's, oh. a, it's a lovely area. No, you know, it's not. Where do you live? Ferndale. Well, Ferndale's nice. I'm not going to knock Ferndale. Yeah, it's, for, you're right by Royal Oak. Ferndale's nice. Okay, wonderful. So, I mean, I, I grew up Bloomfield Hills, you know, as snobby as it gets, but kitty corner from Ferndale. So, Seems well, about right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very fitting. Believe me, nobody ever brings up that. It's, I've never heard that before as an insult. So, okay, you listen to the open intently. I could tell you were rap. This is like the most interested you've ever been in you anything. You want to know what I was thinking? What were you thinking? Why... Why is he putting me in a position where I have to defend the Lions? Like that shouldn't be what this conversation is, but it's it's the the table you've set immediately. That's is, fine. You've put me on the defensive for an organization that I doesn't really merit defending. Well, we can. Well, well, let's get into that. So I'm going to pose it to you this way: You saw it. You listened to what I said. You obviously think I'm off base. Tell me why. What am I getting wrong here? Well, let's start with the way you presented the video clips. You presented the phone call versus the celebration, which I think is a little disingenuous, right? What was the phone call like with Dan Campbell and, and Brad Holmes with Penesa? It was much more calm and controlled. Was their celebration a little over the top? Was it enthusiastic? Sure. Was George Patton, did he stay uh, in, in monotone mode through the celebration with three golf claps and then sit down and cross his hands over his lap? I don't know. I didn't watch the Denver Broncos war room. I don't, I don't really care about it. But um, listen, they're, they're not... I don't like the comparison to Moingwick because, you know, I, I remember it vaguely from, you know, just being around in town, but uh, recently was, was speaking to a reporter that was in town covering it as a national reporter. And the whole thing was just over the top staged. Like the guy was getting ready to leave and they're like, no, 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 no. Make sure you stay around. Like Marty's got something planned. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that part of it. Like the one thing I could say about Dan Campbell. Yeah. He's a little over the top, you know? but it's genuine and there's nothing fake or pretentious about him. It's just who he is. The kneecap speech, which has gotten so much attention was 90 seconds of a 65 minute press conference of just raw kind of emotion. And, you know, you point out all these organizations that have boring head coaches. It sounds like you're pining for the return of, of Jim Caldwell. And that's great. That's awesome. But there are coaches that have personality to succeed too. Bruce Arians, has a ton of personality. Pete Carroll, a ton of personality. Like, I just don't believe in the NFL there's one way to do things. Is there examples of more examples of one than the other? Sure. You know, I mean, there, I, I think you probably find that in any walk of life, but I don't think Dan Campbell's personality and over the top exuberance is a automatic disqualifier that's 
going to lead to failure. Like I'm not ready to jump there. And yeah, I'm going to be the guy that's going to say, let's wait and see. Cause that's my job. Right. Like I, I just don't have the, the foresight, you know, you're not going out on a very sturdy limb or, or you're going out on, I guess maybe this, the sturdiest of limbs, if you're going to guess that it uh, is going to fail because historically everything, this organization does fail. So you know, are you going to be the the one guy that's wrong this one time? Probably not, but um, they are trying something different. And is this different going to be right? I completely, completely understand your skepticism, but I also have, it's, it's just in my nature to kind of see what people are thinking and why they're going this way. And I, I get what they saw the 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 charisma as as maybe quirky and corny as it could be sometimes the charisma he has I, I see why that carried appeal through the interview process and and why they went with him in the first place. Well so let, let me address a couple of things about that. First of all, I am building my argument on several pillars, one of which is the goofiness. I could get into the fact that Nobody else interviewed the guy. I could get into the fact that, but for him calling the Lions or having his agent do it on his behalf, even the Lions would not have interviewed him. So I don't know. I mean, that's the, the nine openings. No one wanted to even call the guy to bring him in. There's teams that interviewed six guys in the cycle. That's one component. I could talk about the fact that he's a rookie head coach. I don't buy the interim thing. I'm not going to get into that. I just don't buy it. You don't go through the whole training camp. You're not building the playbook, whatever. You don't build the staff. Rookie head coach, the fact that he wasn't a coordinator. There's a lot of things that I'm building it on several pillars, not just that he's a goofball. And I didn't mean to imply that he was disingenuous. I believe he's he's as honest as the day is long. I I didn't know about Morningwigs being so contrived, but it's not meant to be an apples to apples, but it's just, it looks a certain way. I draw the line with Pete Carroll. I would put Bill Parcells in there even. I think there's a difference between eccentric, does things a little different, and just kind of a clown. Where you draw that line or where anyone draws that line is up to them. I mean, I, that's where I drew it. I, I Believe me, I would love if Pete Carroll were hired here, and I know he can be a little goofy and rah-rah too. But I, I just it's based on more than that. So I, I just don't see any evidence. Like, if your argument is they're just trying something new, that's, that's the case? Like, oh, it's something different? Because that's the same thing Sam was saying when he was in here. It's like, oh, you know, it's worth a shot. I, I'm sorry. You're saying this behavior isn't an automatic disqualifier? I agree. Nothing's an automatic disqualifier. Anybody could win despite a a huge flaw in this corner or another. But it's about bets. It's about predicting what's the best bet. And if your best bet is a guy with no experience that nobody else called that acts like a goofball, I question the wager. It's not about, oh, it can't work. I think it's the worst bet that they had available to them. Yeah, there's there's two things that I I think maybe play out that that work in his favor. One, two two things I think are important with head coaches, right? Because your head coaches, CEO, our X's and O's don't matter as much, right? You're a CEO of an organization, and you could go a million different directions with eccentric CEOs, including probably the biggest cult figure out there right now, and Elon Musk, right? I don't know why I'm drawing a line to Dan Campbell and Elon Musk, but I I just did. So there's, CEOs. there's that, but it's the willingness to get people to rally behind you and it's the people you surround yourself with. And I think Campbell has the potential to be excellent in those two things. I think 
from what I've gathered already, players love him. Like they just, they adore the authenticity of the person, right? Like he's just kind of one of the guys, but yet still carries that kind of alpha command of a room, right? And so the players like being respected. They know they've got somebody that's been through it for 10 years and, and know their, their emotions and their highs and lows of the profession that they can lean on. And then two, I, th- I think the staff he's built is very interesting. I don't think they're all hits and I, I don't want to get into to judging them without a game being played, but I do think, and, and I will say a couple of the, the real potential hits, Aaron Glenn, I think if that defense has a modicum of success over the next two years, that guy's going to be a head coach in this league. And I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by a guy like Aubrey Pleasant. Uh, just same thing, just incredibly infectious energy at, I mean, one of the, the premium position groups in the NFL now in, in the defensive backfield, right? But I, I think if you look throughout, the, and, and do Staley too, right? I mean, that's a guy that's kind of been on the cusp in the conversation of of head coaching just for a while that, that brings that right mix of passion and intensity and demanding. And and I look throughout the staff and again, not all hits, but a lot of hits. He surrounded himself with a lot of, I think up and coming football coaches that have that, that X's and O's acumen that kind of compensates for the fact that he wasn't a coordinator. So if you get that leader, you get that, that natural charismatic leader the guys want to go to war for and and fight tooth and nail through four quarters, and you kind of fill in some of your rough edges on on the X's and O acumen with the people you put around you, and and Campbell isn't a guy that it's his way or the highway. He's not the guy that was just here. It's the opposite. He's he's always looking to. It's not a, um, you know, he's not just saying he wants collaboration. He wants collaboration because he knows he has weaknesses and he's filling it in. I think those are the two traits that he possesses that give it a chance to work. I can't speak intelligently to the position coaches, really. The only one I know a lot about, having watched him played, and also his reputation is Deuce Daly. Sure. Like, it, yeah, highly respected. You know, so Deuce, that's fine. But this, I've heard this argument of, okay, Dan Campbell, he may not be an X's and O's whiz, but he doesn't have to be. The coordinators can take care of that. Okay, let's take that step down. Aaron Glenn, rookie defensive coordinator. Anthony Lynn, failed head coach, one year as an offensive coordinator with Buffalo, and they finished middle of the pack. They were okay. It's not like they were lighting up the world. So, again, like even if you're stepping down the ladder, oh, don't worry about Dan Campbell. His coordinators will take care of it. Are they a good bet? I mean, I'm not saying Aaron Glenn's a bad bet. I'm just saying it's not like a good bet. It's a shot in the dark. Who knows? I mean, he's got a good reputation. So, like, I mean, it's a bad example as it played out, but when the Lions had Mike Martz here, like, that was, okay, I didn't like the head coach, but, hey, they got Mike Martz, like the architect of the biggest show on turf with the Rams. Like, did right, that work out? I just said it didn't work out, yeah. but I'm saying I liked the bet. I Gunther felt, Cunningham, did that work out? I, I, I loved Gunther. He was a character. human being, loved Gunther Cunningham, but did it work out? Well, yeah, it, no. it did not. I'm but just did, saying. Did Terrell Austin work out at least to wow. start? Oh, to start it did. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, so I mean, if 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 he went out and got a bunch of guys that formally did it, then we'd be having this conversation. Oh, you got a bunch of failed retreads. That, that's fair. Like, it's it's one or the other, right? Like I, I think with the Lions where they're at, and I think we everybody but maybe the organization itself is going to call this a rebuild. 
like it's okay to go young and up and coming and and trying to build something fresh and unique and new. And I think what they're trying to do is you, you talk all the time. You change coaches, right? What do you do? When you fire one coach, what do you do? You go to the boomerang. You kind of go you to the, hire player, the player's coach to the Well, dictator. usually it's like offense, defense, or defense, offense. And this one, it was a personality hire, right? They went from the, the drill sergeant, the dictator, whatever you want to call him, to the guy that has so much positive energy that he's going to throw the team on the back and carry them emotionally to the next level. And we, we just haven't seen it here before. You know, I, I thought this was a possibility before it started, but I thought it was maybe Salah, you know, like for the same rate reason, he just had that, that exuberant energy. And I, I guess I didn't know a whole lot about Dan Campbell. I had put him in my, you know, whatever, 15 candidates to watch list. Like it wasn't like he was completely off my radar, but I, even in the paragraph and, and I, this, this is just a, I'm criticizing myself here in hindsight, right? Like I didn't think it was realistic because I thought maybe there was too much overlap with Patricia based on, you know, the, the old Oklahoma drill story, right? Like ran an Oklahoma drill on the first day of practice and which has, has turned out to be not necessarily accurate, but like, I thought, okay, do they want another hard ass in here? And Yes, Dan Campbell pushes the guys and he he has hard and demanding practices, but the personality couldn't be more different. Just the top to bottom janitor to kitchen employee to 53rd guy in the roster to superstar treat with respect and dignity couldn't be more different than the guy that was here previously. And I think that is is the appeal of him to the people that hired him. I, I mean, all fair. And look, I said, I, he's probably the nicest guy I, I've seen on camera. I've never met him, but it seems like the nicest guy I've ever seen on camera at a podium uh, for Detroit sports. I mean, it's, I'm rooting for him. He does seem like a great guy. It's just, again, I don't trust the X's and O's, not to mention the 65 year history of this organization being in that. But I'm curious because I, I tried to find one. I couldn't. Like, people keep telling me, that again with this, I'm a curmudgeon. Like, what's wrong with the guy having a little fun? I'm overreacting. Look, to me, the NFL is dog eat dog. It's rat eat rat. Doug Peterson wins a Super Bowl, win has two winning seasons after the Super Bowl, for by the way, for an organization that had never won one. Has one losing year and a weird COVID year, and he's gone. Yeah. I, I mean, the Patriots. Patriots were trying to trade Tom Brady for like five years, but for Robert Kraft intervening and vetoing it. He would have been gone four or five years earlier than he was. It's Tom Brady who's in the middle of winning Super Bowls. It, this is the ultimate cutthroat. I don't care what you've done. It, it, that's everybody else. It's everybody that's winning is like that. And, and that's the majority of the league. Can I argue that this can't work? I've never seen it work. Where it's this wadi da even Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was a, a previous head coach, one of the winningest coaches in college football history. Like he had some real chops and weight. It was a prior NFL coach. Like, I'd never seen this work. What's the precedent? I just, I, I, to me, we're still basing it on nothing. Because even, even, I mean, you gave a great answer. It's, you know, he's, he's a great leader, he's enthusiastic, and they're trying something different. But there's still, there's 10 people that, that work in my building that are, you know, like middle managers that treat their departments wonderfully. They'll go through a wall for them. I don't want them coaching the Lions. I don't want him doing a lot of jobs. They're good in that role. I think Dan Campbell would be a hell of a high school football coach. I think he'd be awesome. So, listen, they've tried just about everything, right? They tried Steve Mariucci. 
Super Bowl credentials. I, I right? liked Mariucci, the Mariucci well, and, and who I think a lot of people did. It yeah. was naturally generated excitement. Yeah. They've they've tried the hot coordinators, you know, in in different ways, different styles. Even recently, you know, I mean Marinelli and, and Schwartz are both hot coordinators, right? They tried the the stoic business like Jim Caldwell, who, you know, you can credit Peyton Manning all you want, but he got the job done every step of the way. And I, I tell people this all the time, like watching a Dan Campbell practice versus watching a Jim Caldwell practice. Jim Caldwell is the most organized human being I think I've ever seen. Like I'm convinced he's got his day planned out to the minute a year in advance. Like it, it's amazing. Like I'm not even saying this is not a negative. Like this is a positive. Jim Caldwell is an amazingly competent, structured human being, and it shows. His practices ran different than anything I'd ever seen in terms of raw efficiency. Two practices or two fields going at once, like unwasted. There was there was no unwasted second. Like everything was done, and they would get practice done in sometimes hour and twenty minutes. A two hour practice would be done hour and twenty minutes because they got all the work in. And then I watched maybe a Campbell practice, and it's you know a little bit more disjointed, a little bit more free flowing. It goes the full two hours. They're not working on two fields at once. Totally different world. But they tried Caldwell. It, I mean, it worked to a degree, but it didn't get them beyond. It got them squeaking by at the nine and seven, and really kind of capping out it at nine and seven. Like what was, what was more than that? And the best team they had, Caldwell blew it by being too conservative. We've talked about this. I'm pretty sure yep. we talked about it in the previous example. So then you go out and you get another hot new coordinator. You get Matt Patricia business-like he's the guy that uh would, would never show emotion during a draft call you know he'd be the super professional never never embarrass the organization guy that didn't work that went as far as that works so they're just once again trying something different and yeah that's that's not the greatest argument in the world but my counter is who should they have hired robert sala because you get you get you achieve what you want for the, like the players coach sort of rehabilitate the locker room, which it certainly needed post Patricia. You get the benefit of that rah rah, but you also get a guy who's been a coordinator, mm-hmm. who has excelled as a coordinator. All that, all oh, the players love him. They say the same stuff about Salah. They say all the same stuff about Salah. Doesn't he, he's enthusiastic? He's he's like the defensive coordinator Pete Carroll. Like he's 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 the line where he's that eccentric kind of. Not silly in a bad way, but a little, little off the wall in a good way, in my opinion. I Somewhere. Think Camp, I think Campbell's on the other side of that line. Somewhere there's a Spiro Agnew in New Jersey conducting their same show and having the same conversations and same criticisms and same concerns about. Oh, they can't like, say there wasn't a coordinator criticism because yeah. that, that's not on the table. And that's one of the big boxes for me. But he's, he's unproven, you know? Well, yeah, I know. But it's like, who's a better bet? Like. You know, a guy in single A and a guy in triple A are both unproven at the major league level. I'll take my chances on the guy coming from triple A last night from single A. It's a, it's a smaller jump. So, yeah, they're both unproven. What's the better unproven bet? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I think I was in Salas camp. I was, from, firmly. From the start, right? New York Jets don't have a great hiring track record either. I think he'll probably fail there because I think anyone would fail here or there. I mean, right. that's, that's, such that's a part of it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, the, the franchise around you, the front office, the, the culture. I mean, like you talk about installing culture and it's really, really important. 
it's also really, really difficult to erase the previous culture. Everybody tries to do it. They try to just wash away the the six decades. They have nothing to do with it. And, and they're right. Like that has nothing to do with this current roster, but it's still there. It's always this undercurrent. Your fans are always talking about it. The podcast in town, the radio stations are always talking about the failures. They're expecting the next, the next failure. And there's always just this, this air of negativity, whether it's intentional or not, it's just always there because that's who the lions are. And that's, you expect failure. Oh, and it's funny. Cause that does remind me of Jim Caldwell, which I'm sure you were probably present that day when he said, well, you guys are so negative. It's like, talk about victim blaming. Dungeon I, of doom. But I've heard 90, yeah, that's right. I've heard 97 one callers call in and not the best example for the brightest, the finest, the brightest in town. But 97 one callers will call in. And, oh, yeah. If you guys wouldn't say so many bad things about, you know, Stafford or Caldwell, you know, the players would want to come here. It's like, it's, it's incumbent upon me to, to, Make sure the Lions are good. Like, it's just that I hate that stuff. Jim Caldwell, I mean, a caller in, in uh, Nova is one thing. But, like, for the head coach of the Lions to chide you. I, wasn't it you? Was it not you that asked the question that pissed off? I can't remember. No, I, I think the funny thing was, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think Wojo asked the question. <laughs> oh, God, so I want you to, funnier. like, just wrap it around. Like, Wojo is not the most aggressive question asker. I don't know why. I don't think Jim Caldwell liked Wojo. I don't. I just always got that vibe. Don't I, I don't know. But yeah. either way, the idea that like the Detroit media and Detroit town is like unfairly treating this organization, I think they've had it too nice. Frankly, no, could I you mean, imagine I'm, this history? The Jets. I mean, at least the Jets have like done something. They've won a Super Bowl in their history. They've been on the doorstep of two Super Bowls in the last 15 years. I mean, they made the final four, if you will, with Mark Sanchez. I'm not saying they're the bee's knees, but like this false equivalence that people throw out. Oh, yeah, you know, terrible organizations like the Lions and the Jets. It's like, no, 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 no. That, 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 that line is in highlighter green. There's no like blurring that. Those, those are two completely different organizations. The Jets are terrible. They've got something to stand on. I mean, they, they have they have a Super Bowl a trophy in their trophy case. So I just the Lions are so bad. I want to finish with Campbell here, and then we'll transition out of this. You mentioned that he's got the the locker room. I could have told you he'd probably have the locker room after five minutes of hearing his introductory press conference. Sure. I I believe that. I believe you. I I will. I'd be shocked if it were the contrary. Doesn't that only last until? Let's say week four of year two, if they're one and three and he blows an end of game scenario, forgets to call a timeout or waste a timeout or does something stupid like the time that Peyton Manning looked befuddled when Jim Caldwell ridiculously botched the game at the end of his Colts career. Like, okay, great. I'm glad they like him. That'll carry him through the entire first year unless it gets like really bad, toxic. That doesn't really matter, right? In the long term, it, it, they have to win. It doesn't matter, right? Those things have to overlap. It does matter, but so does winning, right? Like you can't. It's it's tough to be a dick all the time, even when you're winning, right? Like it grows thin. Uh, maybe maybe Larry Brown is a is a great example. Like even Larry Brown won here all the time, but it wore thin with with the star players at some point. Um, but if you're a great players coach. Like you may have their friendships, not the right word, but they may like you. Right. But if you're not winning, like, yeah, you're, you're 
at some point the respect's going to go out the window. Like you've got to win too. Um, I don't, I don't know what the leash is. I don't know if it's game four, week two. Um, I, I know players don't have the mentality that this is going to go horrible this year, but it's probably going to go horrible this year. And maybe by design is a little bit too harsh, but like you, you just have a roster that's not set up to be particularly competitive. It's supposed to turn around with those 2022 and 2023 double first rounders where you could start really building the pieces toward the future. I think Lions fans best hope right now is, you know, five or six wins this year where they fight, they're competitive, they're a feisty team. I've made this comparison on a few different stops, but like the the 2019 Dolphins is the comparison for me, right? That's a team that gave up before the season started. They traded everyone away. It was tank for Tua. It was blatantly obvious that they just had no interest in competing. The Lions have not done that. I mean, they haven't gone to that that bottom of the well. Uh, but that Dolphins team, I believe 5-11, and 11, I'm not 6-10, and 10, somewhere in that ballpark. But they fought. They were competitive. They beat the Patriots in, in Week 17. Um, they were playing hard for their coach. They ended up getting Tua anyway in a weird you know, term of events, but, um, 10 and six last year, like, right. That, that team is on the right trajectory. They have a ton of draft assets, you know, that they started using last year that they built up through their, their, their tank. And so to me, when I look at this lines, like Lions team, that's, that's kind of what you hope it looks like, right? Like they fight, they're competitive. They maybe win a couple games that they shouldn't have. I don't know if it's four and 13 or, or five and 12. I'm still working on the 17 math in my head, yeah, but I'm, it's going to take me, it's going to take a while. But if you see, God, I hate that means where you see the grit, you see the passion, you see the fight, you see it for four quarters through all 17 weeks of the season. And they win five or six games. You go, okay. Like this, this culturally is, is looking right. Now they got to start hitting on the player acquisition. So I don't think we're going to be judging this team until really 2022. Like the end of 2022 is where we're going to look at it and go, does Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes have this thing on the right track? Or are we going to be prepared to be going through this whole stupid thing again in, at the end of the 2023 season? Because that's what we do in this town. Justin can't have a summer off or a spring off three years in a row. It's just not allowed. Well, this this town has proven in very recent memory that they will embrace exactly what you're talking about. It took, what, two and a third appearances of you on the show for us to agree on something, but I'm with you. They do not care about the record, the fans, this year, I don't think. They shouldn't. I, I certainly don't. It's Except for the guy that told me they were going to be in the NFC Championship on Twitter today. Well, you know, that guy. the opiate addiction problem out there is a major issue, and I hope the guy gets help. But look, here's, here's the thing. The Detroit Pistons had the worst record in the NBA. They were horrible. And it wasn't just, oh, people were excited about the pick. They were excited about how they looked in those losses. No young doubt. young guys scrapping, competing. They'd be up six on the nets with like six minutes left. It's and then they'd lose. Great comparison. Thank you. Thank you. So, But the fans loved it. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, they're the worst team in the league. And Here's <laughs> the difference, though. Yeah. Blake Griffin is Jared Goff, right? Oh, we're getting the golf next, actually. Well, so like, and we so can like, get into that. Yeah, like the Pistons were, were looking to cut ties with the lingering 
the vestige, the legacy that. piece, right? Not, yeah. not even, like just the the star player that was not helping them go anywhere. The big contract, like I, I don't know. We'll we'll see where golf works, but like to me, it's it's just a waste. But let's transition to golf because sure, that's the per- that's the perfect segue. So yeah, I saw your appearance this week on Woodward Sports Network, and you're cool. Yeah, anything you do, I try to check out. Oh, really? Oh yeah, I'm a religious yeah. fan of your content. You know that. Uh, when you make my top five list, top I, five, I, I say nice things about all my guests because like I don't invite people on unless I think they're pretty good. But yeah, you've made every top five list I've ever done. But I, I listen to what you said, and I want to expand on it. Because you, you kind of touched on it, and then it's not your fault. You're just the guest. They were kind of like on to the next thing. I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. Now, we're a longer format than them, but you implied that, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even remember what I said, you, so let's go. Well, okay. You implied that golf has been unimpressive throughout training camp. And mm-hmm. I, this is a paraphrase, but you said something like, oh, based on what I've been seeing, like, I don't know how this is going to work. So, And yeah. then it was just kind of, if I were the host, I'd be like, oh, what'd you see? They didn't. They didn't ask that, so I'm going to ask you now. You've you have not been impressed. And one more thing before I get it to you, I had Nick Baumgartner on here in June. I know that guy. A great guy. Hey Nick. Nick's awesome. See Nick's at home watching CM Punk, and I'm here with you. I think you're the winner in that. In that <laughs> it's yeah. I think you win that. I don't know. CM Punk was like a boxing match. What is that? Isn't he a wrestler? Just move on. Okay. On to the next. Topic. So Nick Nick Baumgartner was in here in June. And he said, okay, it was very early in the process, but I asked him, like, what's sort of the vibe with Jared Goff in these early practices in training camp? And he had said, like, it's not there yet. He essentially, this is close to a verbatim quote, implied that Goff was, like, blending in with the ball boys. Like, you would never know. Here's this, like, Super Bowl $35 million quarterback. Like, and But, you know, Nick did say, like, look, they're like five practices in or whatever. Well, like he, I, yeah, I'm not going to judge the whole thing, but like this was not a a guy coming in day one. This is my team. I'm taking over. Like, can you expand a little bit on what you mentioned this week on the Woodward Sports Network? You haven't been impressed. He seems to be next thing. He seems to be blending in with everybody else. Like, it, is this his team? Why have you been underwhelmed? I might bounce around a lot here. Bounce so all if you've got a you gotta reel me in then do so. But um within that quote, I believe I said, similar to Nick, Nick was at five practices. I'm at we're at like 25, 30 now. But like I said, look it. New offense, new quarterback, new receivers, new scheme. The the pieces have been in and out of the lineup. I mean, Hawkinson's been out for two weeks, Swift's been out for the duration of his time as a lion, it feels like. Um Williams is uh, Tyrell Williams is currently out. Perriman was out. Those were supposed to be the top two receivers. Like Jared Goff's like throwing to guys like Victor Bolden and Sage Surratt. Like I don't, and I tried to ask Anthony Lynn this today. Like I not a good answer from him, by the way, kind of boring. Um, I, I don't really know much about the offense. I feel like, cause I haven't seen all the pieces there and I know that's the NFL. Like it's gotta be next man up, but it's been, kind of ridiculous this training camp right so i'm willing to couch any criticism of jared goff within the confines of that like he just hasn't had the full setup or even most of the setup most of these practices but i mean how much have you read about the deep ball right like that's that's a big buzzy topic but it's a topic for a reason right like he's been johnny Checkdown in practices and that's 
maybe it's partly because I'm so used to seeing gunslinger Stafford out there, like just whipping it around like it's a playground and doing so successfully for years. I mean, say what you want about Matthew Stafford, but the arm talent is elite, right? And he didn't hesitate to use that all the time on the practice field. Jared Goff's the opposite. He's kept a conservative. He's very hesitant to take those deep shots. He won't force it into a window that is even remotely tight. And this isn't even just the practice field. I mean, I went back and did a film study on this guy. Like, he prefers to throw to very open receivers, not just, like, I know the NFL, their advanced stats, like, they track, like, the amount of separation a guy will throw to. Stafford's like, oh, you got a half a yard, Kenny Galladay? Boom, here you go. I'll just wedge it right in that window and we'll worry about what happens later. Like, Goff needs four yards. Like, he needs four yards of separation before he's going to chuck that ball. And I was actually talking to Nick the other day, and I go, what do you think the over-under is of golf pass attempts, and this is very specific, between the numbers, right, so center of the field, that travel 30 yards in the air beyond the line of scrimmage this year? How many completions does he have doing that? I go, I'm going to set the over-under at one and a half. This guy is not testing the middle of the field. He's just not. It's not in his football character. And so I look at this offense. They Again, I, I try to see what other people see, right? Like, why did you do this? I try to be put myself in their shoes. They signed Tyrell Williams. They signed Brichard Perriman. You think immediately, that's, that's the starting tandem. What's unique about those guys? They're fast as hell. Like, elite, elite speed. Like, top 10, 10 percentile. Number three and number four, I believe, in yards per reception in the last five years. So what are you doing? You're getting field extenders on the outside. And then you're taking advantage underneath with your TJ Hawkinson, your DeAndre Swift, your Jamal Williams, your Amon Ross St. Brown. The problem is, I don't know if you have a quarterback that's willing to even threaten to use those guys on the outside. Therefore, defenses aren't worried about it. And you see the cornerbacks getting more and more feisty and aggressive and jumping his little short routes, his little hitches and comebacks. Um, Hawkins is going to catch a million balls this year. I mean, that's that's the one guy where there's clear, obvious chemistry. But again, talking to just my colleagues today as we're watching practice, I said, at some point, teams are, and probably at some point, it's going to be week one, like teams are going to start doubling this. They're going to, they're going to, have subtle brackets or, you know, a check for a, a linebacker or a safety to kind of just watch the quick read to Hawkinson. And not even 10 minutes later, Will Harris drops a little back into a slant route and just Goff throws it right to him. Like, right. I, I can't believe Will Harris dropped it. That's another story. Like, but. Now the Lions might drop him pretty soon. Easiest. Well, he's going to start, but <laughs> easiest interception imaginable, right? Like, and you look at Goff's film. One, he doesn't attack the field deep consistently. There's one route he'll he'll throw a corner. He'll he'll attack the sidelines deep. That that turkey hole shot, right? Like that's his comfort zone. But he won't attack the middle of the field, and so defenses can plan for that. And then he's good for one awful decision a game, at least one awful decision a game. It's why he has, I, I believe, 29 interceptions over the last two years consistently shows up on film and has consistently showed up on the practice field. Again, new scheme, new players, new chemistry being built. He's trying to bring those guys out to California and build it in, in, in these, these workout settings. But I just, 
this is an audition year for him. He's got one year to prove he's the guy. You know, I, I think maybe the leash is a little bit longer because of the relationship with Brad Holmes. But it's one year to prove he's not a bridge quarterback. And they're getting real close to the regular season. They didn't play him in preseason two and preseason three, which bad, bad decision in my opinion. Just, just my opinion. I, I play that guy. Okay, yeah. Let's uh, not to cut in, but I want to, yeah. I want to hit on that really quick. Because yeah. I, what are they doing? So Ben Roethlisberger, who's like seventy three years old, in that seventy two, seventy two. Okay, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't want to age him up. He, he's he's seventy three, seventy two, whatever he is. I, He's been there forever in Pittsburgh. He's been with that coach forever. He's been with that staff and some of that those uh, position guys forever. Yep. He, I mean, he didn't play the whole game, but he threw the ball at 10, 12 times. Three series. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Jared Goff is it's a new team. Yep. New city, new coach, new receivers, new everything. Mm-hmm. Everything but the guy's haircut has changed since the trade and since he came from out west. Why is Jared Goff... Uh, doing Pilates on the sideline, and Ben Roethlisberger is getting wheeled out on, a, on his wheelchair and propped up and held up to throw the ball ten times. I, I mean, unless there, you always throw out the caveat, maybe there, there's some nagging thing. Like maybe I mean, there's always some explanation that we may not know, but it doesn't seem like that. You've seen him in practice; he's not limping around like. If, if anybody should be the outlier and play an abnormal amount of snaps for a QB1 yeah. ever in the history of football, it would, it would be Jared Goff. They're going the other way. I, I just, so I'm glad you, I think you mentioned that actually this week on your appearance too, but I was saying the same thing. I'm like, is the guy hurt? That gets back to, by the way, genius Dan Campbell. That's the kind of stuff you can say, oh, it's preseason. Dumb is dumb, and I don't care what day of the week it is or what it says on the calendar. A dumb decision is a dumb decision, unless there was some extenuating circumstance that we're not aware of, and we always throw that asterisk out there. That was a dumb decision. This guy needs more reps, not fewer. Man, you just just full on hyperbole through that whole thing. I liked what, it. What did I? Well, okay, the wheelchair was not literal, but other than that, wheelchair, I, Pilates, dumb. I mean, it's <laughs> all of it. It listen like. We're just different personalities, right? Like, I'm not going to call it dumb. I disagree with the decision, right? Like, I think that's where we agree. I disagree with the decision. The Lions seemed very content to see Jared Goff go three and out in a horrific drive where he was sacked and nearly threw an interception on his first pass and then have in the most uh, affirming reports of training camp ever, an 18-play drive that ends in a field goal. Like, if... Anything sums up what I've seen from Jared Goff and the Lions offense during training camp. An 18-play drive ending in a field goal is perfect. Iowa football was loving that drive. Oh, it, it was miserable. But that's like the Lions are like, cool, we've seen enough. And I was like, no. And so the one thing I would say is I wonder with the lack of pieces without the Hawkinson and the – um, uh. Swift, you know, and maybe wanting to to protect Decker and, and Ragnow, you know, two guys that legitimately merit putting in bubble wrap because they've they're they're in that Roethlisberger camp. They've done it, they've proven it. You don't need to see more of Frank Ragnow. Like maybe that's the logic. Like, why are we gonna put Goff out here with Victor Bolden and um Craig Reynolds, who signed to the the squad three days ago? Like, um 
what are we going to gain from seeing him in those situations? So maybe we'll just try to simulate it on the practice field. And they are. They're they're trying to simulate it on the practice field with their number one defense, and that's good. That's always valuable to to do ones versus ones. Some coaches don't. Lions do a lot of it. But I think it's always better to see a game situation, even if it's the Steelers' second team. It wasn't the Steelers' second team defense. They were running out most of their guys outside of Watt. But, like, just see it. Give him some more reps in the scheme. So uh, we're we're not going to see it this week. I mean, we're going to see another David Blau, Tim Boyle show and whatever. I'm there to cover preseason football. And we'll, well, I we'll think get through the, the finish line. And Last week was egregious not doing it. But I, I like I said, I would even I, I never advocate for this. This is, I'm saying I'm acknowledging this as a major exception. But I would play him this week, especially since he didn't play last week. I'm not saying play him the whole game, but a couple series. This guy needs reps more than anybody. We'll finish with Goff here. I, just your sense, I was kind of a defender of Goff. It seems from what you're saying, it's kind of the worst of both worlds because the benefit, like I remember David Garrard for the Jaguars had a year, it was like 20 touchdowns, four picks, and people liked him, but it's like the guy didn't really go downfield. He played it very safe. Yeah. Like, if you're going to turn the ball over a lot, I need you to be Jameis Winston, who's also like throwing bombs all over the place, and it's like you take the good with the bad. If you're going to throw a lot of interceptions and not throw deep, I, like what are we doing here? I, that's problematic. I still think, look, different scenario, much better scenario with the Rams, but he was still in a good scenario and failed. Like, is he like a a guy capable of more that just has got the yips and it just lost his confidence when and McVay bailed on him, or was this always smoke and mirrors and now like this is just the guy? No, it's probably somewhere in between that, right? Like, I don't think he had the yips. I think he was a Pro Bowl game manager, right? You know, he had good receivers around him, good line, great running game. Yeah. And that that matters for some guys. You know, for a guy that's a game manager, when you have defenses committing to stopping your running game, Todd Gurler was MVP caliber. I don't know if he finished second, third in the MVP race. Like, he was best in the league that year. Yeah, I don't, I don't. The yards per scrimmage were over two thousand, I believe. Like very, very good. And then you set up a play action game, you know, and, and play action can be a quarterback's best friend. Matthew Stafford was excellent in play action, which is funny because they never even had a threat of a run game. But Matthew Stafford faking like he was going to hand it off, it helped. It helped. The the difference in just practice field, watching Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff, it it feels like a massive gulf in talent. Like I, I, I heard it from years from other coaches, right? Like Stafford can make all the throws. Oh, this is immense talent. And look, he didn't get it done here. I have zero problem with the Lions trading him. I think it was the best for both parties. I really do. I, again, put myself in their shoes. I see why the Lions were tempted to say, oh, two first round picks and a third round pick. Perfect. Oh, and we got to take back Jerry Goff. That ain't bad. Like a former number one pick that we know and like can help us not go one in 16 like okay but like man it he just he just doesn't compare to Stafford just doesn't in terms of of arm talent or decision making or confidence or command of the offense like it's just not comparable and you know I I I hate to be a Debbie Downer I mean you you might enjoy the role but I, I don't like being it like right I would be very surprised if the Lions are not a bottom five offense in the NFL this year 
Oh, yeah, stunned. I think they're going to be dead last. Who, who's worse? I mean, who's I'm, worse? I'm, I'm not, I, it's tough for me to pay attention to 32 teams. It's hard yeah. enough to pay attention well, yeah, to you're, one. You're throwing out like the backup line coach. Like, the, you know, so you, you're such a, a savant. I'm in, in, I'm in the force. Yeah. yeah. So what, let's transition to this. Jeff Okuda concerns. Okay, I, I've banged this drum for a long time. Now, I said I thought the guy would be good, sure. but I thought it was ridiculous that they took him. So I'll put my Debbie Downer hat back on. So you let's, try, you, let's go. You took this sombrero from yeah. me for a minute. I'm going to take my sombrero back. So this is something I, I threw out a while ago on Twitter with my massive uh, Twitter following that I have. How many is it? You know the exact number, don't you? I, I don't. You looked this morning. You're a liar. Yeah, some of them are from Pakistan. I don't know why that's a, a draw. I don't well, that's, know. That's where they come from when you pay for them. Uh, see, I, I've been accused of paying for them. Never done it. I have paid for advertising and promoted tweets, though, but never pay. I don't even know how to pay for followers. But anyway, I digress. I've talked about it. Jeff Okuda. I made this comparison, and it's going to make some people upset, and you're going to tell me I'm overreacting. I'm not saying he's this guy, but I, oh, I, no. I'm just asking. I, what's that no. Alex Jones, Eric Cartman thing? I'm just no. asking questions. It just here's, here's the picture. No. I, okay. Are you telling? Did I make these numbers up? Did, did I? Did I uh, tell Ben? Hey, make these stats up so I can make Justin Rogers upset on my yeah. show tonight. No, no. These are the facts, and and some people just listen and don't watch, so they don't know what we're talking about yet. <laughs> Pro Football Focus. I always say it's not the end all be all, but it's very good. I mean, they never have like Tom Brady as the the thirty seventh best quarterback in the league. And, you know, uh, Nick Foles is the best. Like, it's, it, it tracks with sort of common sense, typically. It's a good metric. T's Tabor was so bad in 2018 that they got rid of him two years after drafting him in the second round. His pro football focus score that year, 2018, right before getting cut and, and obliterated out of the league forever, was 29.9. Now, that's basically getting like a... 35% on your science exam in high school. 29.9. Jeff Okuda last year, 32.2. Of all the cornerbacks with their coverage score with Pro Football Focus, 2018 Tease Tabor was 118 out of 120 eligible corners in coverage score. Jeff Okuda last year, 115 out of 121. So you're talking about both and by the way, the other guys around them on that list, like right behind them, were like seventh round picks forced into action because three guys got hurt. There weren't any other first and second round picks on that list. So I'm not saying he is Tease Tabor, but I bring that comparison in just to paint the picture of how bad last year was. So let's clarify that. I'm not saying he's Tease Tabor. All right, really quick. Does does Ben have access to PFF in there? No, I no, I doubt it. I, I can pull it up on my yeah. computer because I have the pull up, account. Pull up Darius. Pull up, pull up Darius Wait, Slay's first year. You're you're gonna have to have an account though, because it's like a yeah, it's I can two hundred dollar thing. I can pull it up. All right, so, so I'm pulling up Slay's first, first year. I don't know yeah. what year it was. 2015, 16, I don't know. Um, listen, here's where I can say we can even have the conversation of Okuda and Tabor being in the same conversation. The expectation for draft slot versus ultimate performance, right? Tabor was always bad, but he was a second rounder. He shouldn't have been bad, but there were hints and signs and P 
people always saying like, why? Like the speed is the number one thing, right? Like, why would you even do it? The red flags were were there. Um, Kuda didn't have those those flags. Like I talked to people before the draft, including one who scouted Ohio State. So we're talking a Midwest scout for an NFL team who said, not only would I be comfortable taking Jeff Okuda at number three, in my meeting with my team, I said I would be okay with taking him as the number one overall player in the draft. I don't agree. I wouldn't take a defensive back number one overall. But to hear an NFL scout for, I'll go as far as say, a successful NFL franchise, somebody you would have thrown up on there on that screen, uh, having a very calm, robotic conversation with a draft pick, said Okuda had everything. He also scouted Chase Young, obviously, and he said Okuda to him was the safer pick than Chase Young. Again, I'm going to take the defensive end if I'm running a draft, but I'm not. I'm a reporter. So Jeff Okuda had a bad rookie year. Let's take the factors into account. One, most cornerbacks struggle rookie year. Let's not judge a guy in his rookie year. Two, not a normal rookie year. Whole offseason was virtual. You know, he didn't even get a rep on the practice field until training camp and then missed half of training camp with an injury, missed the first two games with an injury, and then he has what, you know, basically is the equivalent to a sports hernia and, you know, can't turn and run the way that he should. Got a coaching staff that maybe isn't the best in terms of supporting him <laughs> and making him feel better. <laughs> There's amount immense amount of pressure because he's drafted as the guy that is the job saver at number three. He's supposed to come in here and save the coaches and GM's job. Like it just was a culmination, a combination of just a shitstorm for Jeff Okuda as a rookie and didn't go well. Also, who was Jeff Okuda covering as a rookie versus T State? T State was rolling out there covering second and third wide receivers. Okuda's out there covering Julio Jones and Devontae Adams and like uh, covering what was put of the DeAndre covering Hopkins. very, very lightly because there wasn't a whole no lot of question, coverage but taking place. You're talking about the best of the best of the best that the NFL has to offer. And he absolutely got his ass kicked. But in reality, like that's probably a good thing for him, right? He's now seen the best this league has offered. You got those slay stats you ready to show? Oh, I, I had a couple stats I pulled up since you gave me some time. Yeah. First of all, well, I'll get to Slay in five was seconds. Junk as a rookie. You talk about, oh, rookie, COVID, no training camp, play the yeah. world's smallest violin. CJ Henderson, the next cornerback drafted in Okuda's draft, not saying he was great, yeah. but his coverage score, 58.3, which yeah. is like double Okuda's. Yeah. I, it's basically. And like, now he's apparently on the trade block. It's like they're already done with him. Okay, but I'm, I, this is just the context of how sure. bad it was. Like a fifty-eight point three is like a C. It's a, it's not a good score, but it's like you're kind of like you're like the probably mm. the forty-fifth best in the it league. Might actually be like a D, a D plus. Okay, I, I just okay. like I we'll just, on I'm D grading plus. on a curve. Like he's 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 maybe like the fifty-fifth okay. best, a, you know, middle of the pack to slightly beyond the hit immediate. me with the sleigh. Oh, well, I'm just saying that's double Akuda's. That's another rookie with all oh, yeah. COVID. What, what was what Again, was poor Akuda? Who was he covering? Was he the number one corner in their system? I honestly don't know. Like, the, well, no, I mean, there, there well, are Ramsey and then they. That's, that's maybe the flaw of, of PFF is there is no comparative measure. It's not that's like fair. I'm DBOA just, or whatever. Okay, but it's objectively like one of the worst years ever. And this is. It was not good. 
And this is for a third overall pick. And not just third overall pick. They haven't seen a third overall pick at that position since Sean Springs. Sure. Sean Springs in 1997, who, by the way, had a really good career and made all pro teams. So, okay, you said Darius Slay. Yep. I, it was your point in bringing him up that, like, oh, Slay was terrible. First of all, Slay was a second-round pick. Yep. So the Number expect- two corner playing behind Chris Houston. Okay. So he's seeing the number two receivers, and he still got benched for a 48-year-old Rasheed Mathis. Okay. The 36th overall pick and the third overall sure. pick for the first time at that position. Oh, well, you is- got Tease Tabor, so I'm, I want to get— Bill Clinton hadn't even been impeached yet. When Sean Springs was drafted at that spot. I mean, just... Give me, I, you give me have, the Slay numbers. Okay, Stop going around okay. in circles. Slay, okay. What was Akuda... Can you throw that graphic back up? And what was Akuda? 32-something, his coverage score? Darius Slay, who was your uh, silver bullet example of how wrong I am about how bad Akuda was. Okay, 32.2. Yeah. Second-round pick, Darius Slay. This is 2013. Yeah. His rookie year, 53.6. 53.6? That's... that's over 20 points better than Akuda. Covering the number two wide receiver on oh. a team. It's different. It's okay. different. What's the okay. difference between covering Kelvin Johnson and Nate Burleson? What did Akuda have to do for you to be like, oh, man, I, I do have some concerns. Like, no. Pass was, out on the field from It was exhaustion? an awful rookie season. But I immediately, when you draft a cornerback in the first round, it's the same way you expect Dan Campbell to fail, right? I expect a rookie cornerback to struggle in his first season. It is. likely. Is there guys that succeed? Is there Denzel Wards wards of the world? There are. There are. But more often than not, they fail. And I gave you the other factors I think came into it. So where I'm really turning AI to Okuda is this year. I need to see it now. I need to see that Slay jump from one year one to year. Because Darius Slay was damn good in year two. Yes, he was. Damn good. Like, yeah, he went and moved in with Rod Woodson and uh, drank whatever Rod Woodson drinks, you know, probably those pomegranate juices, because I assume that's what everybody drinks that gets really good at things. And he jumped to 68.5, so he made a big, for a second-year guy, it's a huge jump. Yeah. He got and like not only that, 30% better. He went from the number two corner to the number one corner on yeah. that team. Yeah. So he made that jump with seeing a greater level of competition. Jeff Kuz the number one corner on this team now. You know, like, he's the number one guy. He has to be better. That's like no pass rush last year. That's another factor I didn't mention. Just nothing. A guy can only cover a guy so long. That 2013 Lions defense was the best. What? Do we not agree? Was the best oh, yeah. Lions defense we've ever seen. Number two in the NFL. And Darius Slay still was awful. As there a was a PFF article that argued at the time. Now, this was at the time. There have been defenses yeah. subsequent. We're way the, off tangent. But at the time, that defense was like one of the 10 best ever. It like, was, it's, it's, it was it's the best I've ever seen. It was right? loaded. Like, it was incredible. It was the best I had seen outside of, like, Baltimore's Super Bowl run. Like, like to watch it that close and to see it dominance was amazing. Slay sucked. Slay sucked as a rookie. So, I'm watching Jeff Okuda now, right? And... We'll, we'll get to the preseason game in a minute. The dude looks like a different player on the practice field. It's the practice field. It's not games. Preseason games aren't regular season games. There's a ton he has to prove. But you could even see it just in the way he moves, the way he looks. The confidence level is so much higher. He looked like a deer in headlights as a rookie. He was overwhelmed. It's not surprising. You go from a scheme at Ohio State where your job is, as Aubrey Pleasant put it, there's your man, go shut him down. Now suddenly you've got communications, checks, route concepts working off each other. 
He got his ass kicked. He got his ass kicked. He sucked. There's no other way to put it. Like, he didn't adjust well enough. Bob Quinn lost his job because of it. Matt Patricia lost his job because of it. I don't know who else you draft instead in that situation. Now, we've talked about the the Herbert and Tua conversation. It was never happening. Maybe Derek Brown was the the alternative. They, they went with the cornerback of the defensive tackle. We're probably having the same conversation because of the lack of impact a defensive tackle generally has outside of Aaron Donald. So Jeff Okuda has to be very good this year. I don't know how good. It's hard for me to quantify. PFF, probably top 20 and, and just, you know, clearly on this, this upward trajectory, right? Um, you see a lot of positive strides in where he's going. I think some of the scheme help with the, the split safeties is going to help him with, with some of the over-the-top stuff. He got badly burned in that Pittsburgh game early, 43 yards. Wasn't even close. What happened? Thought he, thought he identified something pre-play. Thought he was going to dive in for interception. Never developed. Look, looked dumb. It happened, right? But it makes every Lions fan go, I saw that last year. I saw that last year a lot. And is this guy not fast enough to keep compete with downfield? Or was this a mistake where he, as the Lions put it, saw something with his eyes and tried to do something mental? It was a mental mistake, right? Not a physical one. He comes back in that game. He finishes pretty damn strong. You know, he makes a really nice play in run support at the goal line, slams down on the edge, funnels the run inside, leads to a stop in the red zone, has the pass breakup on Juju Schuster-Smith in the end zone where he played it just like you'd like a cornerback to play it, was was in phase, was close to the, the receiver, and and played his hands as you're taught to do technique-wise. I think that's growth in his game because last year I felt like he lingered on his mistakes too much. You cannot do that at the cornerback position. There's a couple positions you can't do that, but the cornerback is near the top of the list. If you linger on your mistakes and you let your last mistake beat you on your next play because you're in your own head, and I think, you know, Akuda, credit to him for being honest about it, like said, it's a problem for him. Like he takes mistakes personally. And uh, Glenn and Pleasant have been hammering on him on that. Like you cannot be this way. We need you to get your head right. We need you to mentally reset. Here's the next play. He showed that growth in the Steelers game. Again, it's preseason. Ultimately, who gives a shit? Like you don't want to overreact one way or the other, but it, it is a small step. You know, time will tell. We got week one coming. You got one of the best offensive minds in the game. They're going to be throwing probably two quarterbacks out there. And Debo Samuel is one of the most fascinating wide receivers in the NFL. Ayuk is, is pretty damn good as well. Like, let's let's go week one and, and see where, where Akuda's grown. But I, I anticipate significant positive growth. Will Lions ever be satisfied? Will this be another Eric Ebron situation where you can never live up to the draft standing you can never live up to the fact that the previous regime drafted you and, and that lingering disdain exists. I don't know. Maybe he will never overcome that. But can he become a good player in this league? I'm pretty confident that, yeah. I mean, Jeff Okuda is going to be a good player. If Jeff Okuda is... He's not going to be Tease Tabor. Let's just... Well, I, I, okay. But if Jeff Okuda ends up like the objectively rated 22nd best corner in the league, as in like... He's good enough to be the number one corner for somebody because yep. there's more than that many teams in the league. Sure. To me, that's still bad just, draft value. 
horrible draft value. No question. Because like the 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 comparison for me was Quentin Nelson when the Colts took him. I think it was at seven. Yep. And it's a guard, and everyone's like, okay, like better be the best in the league. This guy better be dominant if you're going to do that. And if and he is, great. Guess there the he best is. guard in the league. Yeah. So it's like, if you tell me, okay, Jeff Okuda ends up like being a B, B minus player, I'm not going to be like, oh, I take everything I said back. It'll all work out. Uh, you're out of your mind because I expect him to be Jalen Ramsey or they can all go to hell in Allen Park. And, and and I heard you say this. Well, they, are, they already, the, the guys that drafted him already. Okay, you know what? You know what? You're absolving them erroneously because that was an empowered regime that was two dead men walking the Green Mile that were empowered to make a decision that they had no right to make. Yep. And we're get, let's transition to this. So Sheila Fordham, that's a perfect segue. I, I am told by by everybody, Dave Burkett, Nick Baumgartner, I think you mentioned it once. Kyle, Kyle Meinke said it last time when he was in here. Oh, you, you can't blame the sins of the father. You can't blame the sins of, of the mother. At some point, I, we're going to get to, like, the family pet owns this team. So we're on our third attempt at Ford family ownership and getting this right. I'm, look I'm, at this graphic. I am told. I am told like this gritty, pixelated picture to make her look like she's a felon. Okay, that's between you and Ben. But I just <laughs> I just write the copy. But look, this is this is the person I'm supposed to, to buy into. Uh-huh. We'll call it the Sheila Files. Sheila Ford Hamp's first moves as owner. I mean, that, that this is everything. She now, was an owner when okay, okay. this happened. I knew you were going to say that, and I don't buy it, and here's why. Okay. You were at that press conference that, like, four people were invited to and nobody even knew about until after the fact, right? Which isn't a press conference, but yes. Okay, you, it makes it worse. Okay, yeah, you were invited to this, Okay, it was a joke. Yeah. Okay, it, we find out about this thing. It's like a meeting of the five families. So, Ben, can you throw that back up real quick? So Get that grizzly I image I knew you up. were going to say, because that's always the refrain. Oh, she she wasn't the owner when that happened. Okay, the papers weren't filed with the league yet. She was the de facto owner. She was the one who said the most words at that meeting or that summit or whatever you want to call it. And even if your argument is, oh, she wasn't technically the owner on the Comerica Bank account, she was the one openly endorsing it. So it's like, I'm not going to absolve her from something she thought was a brilliant idea. So she endorsed the return. That's why I said endorsed, but she endorsed the return of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. And if you look back, and I mean, you wrote the story, but so you would obviously remember. It's a long but time it, ago. if you look at the quotes, though, the quote is this is a close paraphrase was, I know the fans think that, you know, we need to move on, but we're making the decision that's best for the Lions. So it's a nice, soft, bow tie way of telling the fans, look, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what's best. Womp, womp. Uh, that was a major go to hell. She blew that, and that ties directly into number two, which is why we transitioned from where you were on Akuda. She permitted, by default, Quinn and Patricia to draft a cornerback third overall for the first time since 97, as we've discussed, which is just a, a, an egregious leap for this organization to make. And if you're going to make an exception that hasn't been seen since before Monica Lewinsky's dress got splooged on. Is that your second Bill Clinton impeachment reference? Get some new material over there, Spiro. Okay. Got since Ben laughing since, over there. Since the f- before Reese Witherspoon met Ryan Felipe in Cruel Intentions on the set two years later. What? However you want. I, I, I was a 90s kid. Do you want me to keep going? What? Uh, uh, the year Jerry Maguire came out. Just 
that was the Sean Springs draft. Okay, point three. Jerry Maguire came out a month after nope. that draft. Do you want me to keep going? No, nope, I do how not. Many, how deep do I have to go? Keep, Look, keep going. Okay, I think semi-sonic closing time came out that year as well. Okay. The point is, listen, calm down. I can't get through. I, I can't fight with you. Fight with me after. Okay. This was allowed to happen. And if you're going to let somebody make a decision that hasn't been made in that long, you should at least empower someone that doesn't have uh, the guillotine dangling over their head. Okay. If you're going to say, you know what, you know what, Bob, you know what, Matt, we're going to let you make this decision. You, you don't give that power to deviate from a normal, sane course of what the league has done for the last quarter century. You don't give that right of deviation to someone that's not there. Let's throw the graphic back up. So point three, this is, this is we're going to keep going. And you can't absolve her of this one because she was the owner for this shit. Hired a rookie GM and a head coach. No one even asked to interview. Nobody else asked to interview. That is TBD. Well, the GM got interviewed, so let's, that's not true. Okay, the may, Falcons interviewed the, him. No, no, no. no. I'm the head coach. Maybe it's not worded in. Oh, a, in really? Okay. Maybe it's not in the AP style. Just accept that you it, have which a that bad was, point. Yeah, that's. I, it's not meant to imply that Brad Brad Holmes actually was coveted by other teams in the league. Well, and he interviewed. Let's. I mean, you don't have to go the opposite way with that. No, no, Brad Holmes. I actually like Brad Holmes. Okay. But I'm just saying th- this is. I, I would not have. The point of this is yeah. that I would not have hired a rookie GM and a head coach. And by sure. the way. They had said that their preference was not to do that. Of course, that didn't matter. But by the way, speaking of preferences that they said on the record, that later meant nothing five minutes later. Point four, they allowed Calvin Johnson issued a linger, embarrassing the organization once again during the NFL Hall of Fame ceremony where one of the greatest players at his position in NFL history, one of the five best players to ever wear their uniform, didn't even mention the fucks during his Hall of Fame acceptance speech, when just a couple months earlier, we're reading all the stories in your in your articles and the free press and the athletic about Sheila Fordham's different. Sheila Fordham had a productive conversation with Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson is optimistic that a reconciliation is on the horizon. And I'm not blaming you guys. That's what you were told. So if you're going to lay out this beautiful bouquet of Sheila Fordham is different and, and she's, she's re-engaging the Calvin discussion a couple years after it had been seemingly abandoned. And then two months later, you let him get to the altar and he's given his, his speech and he's openly insulting you. He's going to, to fledgling sports networks in the city of Birmingham and, and openly saying, yeah, I wanted the hell out of there. How did she let this continue? So I just, I don't want to get into the whole Ford family thing, but just I'll keep it a one question topic. Oh, there's a question. Yeah, well, if you kept interrupting me, I would have gotten to it earlier. Oh, look, I just just tell me because you've you've been around this yeah. new uh, this new and improved third attempt at Ford Family Ownership for a while now. She's been in the saddle like a year and a half or something. Like, mm, well, yeah, I mean, like okay. last summer, right? Okay, fine, about a year. You're there all the time. You're there constantly. The vibe in the building, all that stuff. Is she actually any different? Like, I don't mean like what kind of books she likes to read or what they like to watch on Netflix. Like the the organization, is it really different under her leadership? And if so, how? Because I don't see any. It looks like the same shit to me. It's too early for me to say. I mean, it really is. But your your vibe, though, just the the, the feel around the building. So since she took over has been a pandemic. There is okay, no fair. in the building, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know what the vibe is like in the building because I'm not allowed in the building. So, 
what I'm allowed to see is her out at practice, and no, that's not a lot different. I'm out there. Do you practicing. like that she's in player personnel meetings? I think that's the optics that are so I stupid. I know you you like the meeting care. circle, but I don't, I don't care. Like you know the way. Listen, you could take it how you want. Like both Campbell and Holmes have told me they invited her. Like they're <laughs> they're trying to They said something nice about the boss. That's right. Like, yeah. That's what that's how I see it, right? Like they're trying to make the boss feel important because they gave them opportunities, right? That was Brad Holmes gonna get a GM opportunity? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe not yet. Maybe soon. Down, but this was the opportunity he was given. Dan Campbell. As you mentioned, this was his only interview, but they gave him the opportunity and he's super grateful. So he's trying to keep the boss in the loop. Uh, it's not like she's giving her opinions on linebacker free agents. She's just listening. And I I don't know, like I don't have a problem with the boss being a wallflower flower and wanting to know every aspect of her organization. But just the Calvin thing, we don't have to get into the mechanics sure. of the contract, but just just in terms of Sheila's handling of it, isn't it the most aligned? Because we saw it with Barry Sanders. No like, question. This was an opportunity, and she said it publicly. She said it, mm-hmm. that they, they had this productive conversation and things were moving towards reconciliation. All that. Like, it, this isn't speculation. Th- those stories were written. You wrote some of them. Like, this was an opportunity. You said it was needing to be fixed, and it was moving that way. Even Calvin said that. that I think they, that's had, where I wrote it, right? Yeah. Like, Calvin Johnson said it. Yeah. And, okay. and, but she was quote was something about, we want him back in the family. So like she's going on the record, mm-hmm. it, it, can, you know, agreeing that this, yeah, confirming this conversation took place and that it was productive and they want him back. And, and it's the same old shit. He's up there. He's, he's bad mouthing in the media. This was the easiest thing to fix. And they didn't. That is a bad sign to me that this is really any different. I, and I so, just, the burden of proof is on them. I, why, do, yeah. why do I have to keep trusting this family? So let's just point out, Calvin has absolutely dug his heels in. Give me my money back to the dollar with no extra work or it's never going to happen. That's, that's his take. Like, give me my money back. And so what we know, I didn't have this story. Dave Burkett had the story. They made an offer out to him. You know, we will pay you this much money you have to do 29 hours of work a year at events and appearing at games, like the, the most frivolous stuff. The same deal they gave Barry Sanders that got him back at the fa- in the family and, you know, bridged the last little bit with a donation to his salary. What I had always hypothetically said for years is, Kevin doesn't need the money. He does. I mean, yeah, he took the money out of his pocket and he'd like it back, but why not forget the salary cap or whatever, talk to Calvin, say, give us a charity. We'll donate $1.4 million in your name to this charity or, you know, $1 million to this charity and then 400000 to your foundation to, to build things. Like, there's got to be ways. We can say, based on Burkett's reporting, there was an earnest, good faith effort to work within the confines of what the league allows from a, you know, working with like those things had to be league approved. You know, you can't just give former players money because it's technically skirting the salary cap. That's what that was about was getting back some salary cap space. It was a horrendous, horrendous decision made by collaboratively in some way, shape or form, Martha, Bob Quinn, 
and Rodwood, who's the money guy, right? I I don't know the full details. I don't want to pretend I do, but the way I perceive it is it being Rodwood as a rookie president, a young president without full understanding or context of his job, making an ill-advised decision. And that's why Calvin continues to bash Rod Wood more than anybody else in that organization. He despises Rod Wood. And, you know, I, I don't know how much power you want. Yeah, listen, Calvin Johnson is one of the all-time greats. You want him back in the family. How much power do you give the guy at some point? Like, if this was the offer that you offered to pay back all the money and you just have to do the Barry Sanders, um, you know, shake hands and slap backs with with fans that still love and appreciate you, if that wasn't good enough for him, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, you can't have a former player dictating that you fire your president or something like that. Like, you know, whether, whether you know, you like Rod Wood or not, like, you can't have Kelvin Johnson say, you know, dictating that much. I think she did make a good faith effort. I really do. I think the the reporting Burkett made demonstrates that it didn't work out. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's a lingering embarrassment for the organization, but there's limitations on what you can do. At least she tried because nobody else was trying before she took took the the reins. Well, again, it was their wrong to write. No question. I I think you do go above and beyond. I think Calvin, I haven't spoken to Calvin, but I think get him in here. I've tried. But (laughs) Calvin's issue, I think, and just reading the tea leaves, is he doesn't want to be told, even if it's two appearances a year, that there has to be any like quid pro quo. Like, that's that's what it's going to be now because I, they reclaim that them. money because it's the salary cap and that's the the perceived tie-in, whether it is or not. That has to exist for the league to approve it. So I'm there fine has with to be. That. But you do it within the restrictions of the league. It's not like this has never happened before. Andrew Luck wasn't getting shaken down in the alley. No, like the fact that this organization has the gall to be cutthroat. Like, what did they get for this? Cut through, like, like you know, Bill Belichick was trying to trade everybody, all including Brady and Gronkowski. But at least, like, what's the trade? Okay, that guy's a real prick, but his hands are pretty heavy when he walks around. Like, this organization having the chutzpah, to, to use a Yiddish term, to, to act this way. It's like the one thing you can get right is doing right by, like, the six good players you've ever had. And it can't even get that right. Like, I'll give you, if you want to be cutthroat and you're hanging banners, no problem. I'm on board. Be an asshole. Be a, be the biggest prick in the universe. I'll take the Patriots run. I don't care if the team I'm rooting for is players have fun or like the money manager of that front office. I couldn't care less if you're winning. But if you're going to stink, can I at least have, like, one of the few flares in the sky during this dark era, which has been my entire life of Lions football, can I please have that little flare have a nice seven-minute speech where he's not thumbing his nose at you. I'm not asking for much. You can't give me the cutthroat shit and be terrible. You got to pick one. Either be a lovable loser or or be an asshole who wins. You can't give me the worst of both. And that this is the third person to try to get this right, and they can't. I don't know how many family members get a crack at this where Kyle Mikey's going to tell me, oh, and I, hey, I know the last five Ford family members didn't work out, but you, you can't judge the sixth one. You can't judge the great niece uh, based on the sins of the uncle and, and the cousin and the grandfather and the grandmother and, and the grand aunt. Like at some point it's never going to happen. I, I just, I, they're I, a joke. I have no faith in her. The fact that he went up on that stage 
and did not thank them, which I agreed with them. I wouldn't have either. The fact that that was allowed to happen months after she said she was going to fix it or implied that she would, I think is a disgrace and it's an indictment on the entire organization. Again, here we are again. It's just terrible. It's unforgivable. I I don't think we're very far off in our viewpoints. I really don't. Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. They should have never asked for the money back. It was a mistake. It's an embarrassment. Wholeheartedly agree. I just don't blame her for something as much that happened five years ago. Even if she was involved in the organization, I don't, I don't put her as a big part of that pie at that time. And I do credit her for trying. And I do think the effort was a good one. I, I think the, the fact that you matched the money and you found a deal that worked to match the money, quid pro, pro, quid pro quo, however you want to put it, like that had to exist. League standards had to exist. He doesn't like it. That's fine. That's just where it is. Maybe that's where I go back to my idea of you just donate money in his name to a charity and that's the the workaround. I don't know if that would make him happy. I don't know. I don't, I don't know think anymore. I don't think Calvin's standing out there. Now his, he may be stubborn. I don't think he's standing out there saying you will break the laws of the league and get a twenty five million dollar fine or we're not cool. Like he would have. He he wanted you over a barrel and I think he had a right to feel that way. Yep. But. I don't. I, I just don't believe Calvin Johnson's position was you will break the the CBA or we're done. I, I just I just don't buy that. Calvin's a smart guy, so we'll, we'll get off that. Let's get to our speed round. Now this is going to be a little different because our oh get blast music. Our first one. You have my blessing to go a little longer on speed round. Typically, you say oh, 15, 30 seconds, whatever. This was big news that happened like right hours before the show, this article comes out on ESPN about Matthew Stafford. I wanted to ask you about Matthew Stafford's L.A. Rams peak, whether you think it's this year or next year or year five, if there's a year five of Matthew Stafford. What's the best Matthew Stafford year with the Rams? Super Bowl? Like, where does this top out? Whenever it may be. I've always said he's Super Bowl capable. He's not the guy that's going to throw you on his back and carry you. He's not Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, but he's in that that B tier, right, or B-plus tier that if you surround him with all the right pieces, you can absolutely win a Super Bowl with, with Matt Stafford. It's a pretty good defense, not as good as it was last year. Secondary took some hits in free agency. Apparently, Matthew Stafford's not allowed to have a running game because they just keep getting hurt. They tried to try and trade for another one with with Sony Michelle. We'll, we'll see how that works, but... It's a lot of good pieces there. I I would be surprised if they don't at least get out of the first round of the playoffs. At least I think he's going to get that first elusive playoff win. Um, you know, I I guess I haven't fully looked at all the rosters enough in the NFL, but I think NFC Championship is is a very reasonable peak for for Matthew Stafford. And listen, if if he wins a Super Bowl, I'm I'm not going to be shocked. I don't I don't think it's likely. It's too hard to to guarantee something like that. Well, yeah, but I, I think he's he's absolutely a guy capable of of winning some big games. And he's shown throughout his career. I know that they're meaningless regular season games, but he performs fine in the clutch. He's got a history of performing in the fourth quarter. I think he can handle pressure and big lights and prime time. And if he's surrounded by better coaches and better players, there's there's room for success. So he was big in the news today with that aforementioned ESPN article. Big, big in I, the local news. Oh, we had already, I had already submitted the prep sheet, and it's like, of course something big happens right before I have the Lions beat right around. Everyone's going nuts at the Stafford thing. So, I mean, the paraphrase quote was essentially, you know, he's interviewed for this big story for yep. ESPN and about the, you know, how he came to be an L.A. Ram. And his quote was effectively, 
I'm really excited to be playing in some big games and some big moments. You know, is that fair? I mean, that's what he said. How, how, what does he want for the rest of his career? I want to be able to play in big games, big moments. I, I, I'm tuning in on my drive home. It's pretty trip. innocuous to me. It, it's innocuous. Like, I, I swear, I don't know if this is such a fresh story. I haven't gone, like, run the gamut. Yeah. But I listened from the drive home from work today to that. It was like a 40-minute Valenti show because they had Tigers baseball this afternoon. But Valenti and Rico are like destroying the guy, the nerve of him to get up there after he won nothing here. And I'm like, okay. I Did just, they compare it to Bill Clinton's impeachment in any way? Well, no, that, I have the trademark on it. Okay, good. But, but uh, look, but I, oh, okay, I disagree with the host. I like Volani, talented guy, and a lot of people have their opinions, whatever. Sure. I, surely this can't be a majority opinion, even in provincial Detroit. They had like seven callers. It was seven for seven. They all agreed with them. It's like people are outraged. And I have a little bit of a personal experience with this. And this is going to make me a Bill Simmons level, like name dropping whore. But like, and it's, it's nowhere near the same profile. But one of my best friends is a pro hockey player and went from the Columbus Blue Jackets to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they national news was on the, the ESPN.com homepage for this. When he went to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had won uh, three cups in the past 10 years, including two of the last three, right before he got there. He gave a quote, and he was coming from Columbus, who had never won a playoff series. He gave a quote. They're asking him, hey, how excited are you to be in Pittsburgh? And his quote was, you know, I, I've been really uh, excited about this, like, you know, joining a winning culture like Pittsburgh and all the cups here, and I couldn't be more pumped. That was taken as him, like this huge slight to Columbus of, oh, you're excited to finally be with a real team. And I talked to him after, and it was, it was national news. John Tortorello's former coach, is saying this is bullshit for him to disrespect us like this. He's getting called out by his old GM. And I talked to him the day the story breaks, and he's like, dude, I really wasn't even thinking about Columbus. I'm just, they asked me if I'm excited to be in Pittsburgh. It's like, fuck yeah, they won two of the last three cups. Like, I can't wait to be here. It, it, he really didn't think that. My take on the Stafford thing is like, I don't think he was sitting there thinking, even though he had every right to think that, I don't think he was sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get in a good dig on the Lions. The guy hasn't had an interesting opinion about anything in his life. Now he's suddenly going to be throwing bombs in the media at his former employer. Like that, they had a very cordial, nice, friendly exit by all accounts. Like, don't you think this was much ado about nothing and we're being typical provincial Detroiters at this point? It's the worst speed round of all time. I said this one's going to be longer. All time. Uh, quickly, Calvin Johnson, comparing his exit to Matthew Stafford's, is that not growth? Can we not acknowledge that the Lions handled that better under okay, sure. Sheila? Yeah. Like, is that not acknowledgement that maybe the organization kind of realizes that they've sucked with handling the exit of great players and, and not putting Stafford in the... He's, he's a tier below Barry and Calvin, obviously with where he lands in league history, but what he's meant to this organization, like this was them handling it better. Right. So, uh, I read the article this morning. I was doing some other things and distracted and kind of bouncing back and forth between it. But I, I think, I think the quick quote was in regards to the question of what do you want for the rest of your career? So the rest of his career, he wants to play in big games. Yeah, obviously. And look at, he didn't play in a whole lot of big games during his time here. Didn't play in a whole lot of primetime games while he was here. Is he part of the problem during the time he was here? Sure. Was he all the problem or most of the problem? Probably not. Like, I don't know. I just, I read this article and I just didn't think much of it. I think Seth is a fantastic writer. Uh, his um, uh, New England cover band 
line was brilliant in co- what you know comparing the last couple of years here uh it was a very nice in my opinion thorough recap of what happened with Matthew Stafford from basically the time he asked out to going to Cabo and conveniently running into uh you know Rams players and Sean McVay to you know where he is now what I really was struck with the interview is how little Stafford said like Seth was with him for three hours at this autograph signing and like Stafford's just shutting down every question I'm thinking yeah that's that's what it's like covering Matthew Stafford like it's exhausting because he says nothing because he's been groomed to say nothing since he was in seventh grade and Mel Kuyper's projected number one pick 10 years down the line like I didn't learn anything from that article. I really didn't. And that's, that's not a criticism. It, it, it was written for a national audience. It wasn't written for Lions fans or Rams fans. It was introduction of new L.A. coastal superstar Matthew Stafford to the world, to ESPN's broad stage of casual NFL fan. So I don't know. I, I know how talk radio works. Like you've got to. You've got to have a strong opinion to generate emotion. Otherwise, you suck as a radio host. And Valeni does it great. He does it great. But, I mean. I don't think that was contrived, though. I mean, Valeni will flat out say, look, I don't give a shit about this. You want me to yell about this Michigan State loss? I don't care. So, you're not wrong. Like, I think I didn't get the sense that that was a contrived uh, hot take thing. But even I just didn't take anything from the quote. The quote didn't, didn't, as a guy that covered that guy for since 2011 at least and and even probably a little bit before that here and they're dabbling in like I just like I shrugged my shoulders like I just feel like Lions fans are so sensitive to criticism I don't I don't know why like your organization merits it but like they hate the fact the national media doesn't cover them or gives them just like what what blew up this summer? It was the the snippet of the kneecaps, and that was it. And that's every time I do a stupid radio interview at any city, like it's it's opens with a kneecaps joke, like because that's all they got, that's all they know about the Lions. Like, but the national media doesn't care about you for a reason. It's because your team sucks. You have no compelling players. I mean, yes, you used to have Calvin Johnson, that was fun, and you were relevant when you had Barry Sanders, but like. Nobody cares about a three and 13 team going for the number three draft pick. You're relevant on Thanksgiving only. And probably more people are angry about that than happy about that nationally. They'll give you love when it's warranted. I mean, Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson have both been mad and cover boys and were darlings of the league. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, whatever. The Lions fans being defensive is just hilarious. We'll move on. So this is sort of a a more positive thing, I guess. I mean, I suppose you could be unpleasantly surprised. But your biggest surprise of preseason, just whether it's training camp or talking to guys or what you've seen in the two preseason games, for better or for worse, is there anything that you've said like, wow, I didn't think that. I'm surprised to see that. I'll give you one on both sides of the ball. Sure. Um, I think the defensive line is going to be better than people expected. And that was a big part of the problem under Patricia. No pass rush pressure, right? And no pass rush pressure and leads to a collapse to everything else in the defense, right? No pressure means time to throw. It's it's just everything starts in the trenches. The pass rush has looked decent you know and and even maybe even above average during during camp um i like the moves they made at defensive tackle i think aleem mcneil is going to be a player here 
Uh, Onzerike has finally kind of got back in the flow of practice in the first day he was out there. Like I compared him to a dog that hadn't eaten for three days and you tossed him a porterhouse. Like the guy was just everywhere wrecking everything. And it was fun to watch, you know, and, and yeah, you're, you're seeing some of the blitzing stuff. They're blitzing safeties, blitzing corners, blitzing linebackers. Derek Barnes is obviously really shined here in these preseason games. So I said earlier, I thought the offense was going to be junk. I think the defense has a chance to go from worst in franchise history. So not a lot of places to go, but up, but like, I could see them as a middle of the pack defensive unit without making too many major personal upgrades. So that's just largely scheme and attitude, right? I've been pleasantly surprised with what I've seen defensively from them in practice. Offensively, I was not on the Amon Ross St. Brown train. I I just thought they got to a point where like, we got to get some receiver to shut these people up and they drafted one. And there are things I really liked about Amon Ross St. Brown. I liked the, I like feisty receivers. I like guys that have edge and attitude. Um, blocking is fantastic. Not that people care about it, but I mean, he's just the way he approaches blocking says some of his character, but like I watched his game film and you were saying, I said, I don't see it. Like it, he, there was another guy and, and I'm not a great college. Um, I don't know a lot of the names, but there was another receiver on the USA USC team that's going to be coming out, I think, this year that was clearly their number one option. Like, Amonra was the second guy in that roster, and outside of one really good corner where he caught four passes, for four touchdown passes in the first quarter, like, the rest of the film is kind of blah. And so, you know, watching him in early stage of training camp, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the guy I saw. But in the last two, three weeks, like I, I just saw this guy trending up quickly. And so I would say St. Brown has been a, a pleasant surprise. I think he's going to be starting slot receiver. I compare his game to late career Anquan Bolden. And, Still very good. And like, so right, like he's lost a step. He's not, he's not a thousand yard guy anymore, but he might be 60 catches, 700 yards, knows how to use his frame and his power well to his advantage in the slot a threat in the red zone. Like I, that's what I see from Amon Ra. Like he's never going to be a dominant receiver, but he could be a really savvy guy that does everything the right way and, and puts up some numbers as a complimentary piece in your offense. And I, I can see that. And that's good value for a fourth rounder. Oh, incredible. If you get a guy, if you get late stage Anquan Bolden, like Detroit lions one year. Yeah. Anquan I, mean, I think Bolden he caught eight touchdowns round. this year. Here, right? He had offers. Yeah, well, I heard the Lions wanted him back, but I know he had multiple offers to continue his career. It was yeah, I think like, he went to Buffalo and just didn't work. I don't. I don't. Know. I, don't I thought Detroit was his last stop. Either way, either way. Um, so we were actually going to get to Ahmad <laughs> Say Brown, Aras Say Brown later, but we'll skip him when we oh, get that's to. Oh, that's the super speed round. Yeah, the super duper speed yeah. round actually. Yeah. But so we'll stay with this one though. Panay Sewell, mm-hmm. seventh overall pick. I gave it a BB plus. Like I was totally cool with it. I the talent outsized. The pick slot, probably. Like, what's your take on Penesul? Do you yeah. like him? How's he look to you? Man, people are for years, and, and this is when you talk about the draft, like, it's it's always going to be Sewell and Fields. Like, that's the conversation. And the fact that Fields landed the division, like, you got to, you're going to be talking about it a lot, lot more. And he's, you know, Fields has had some exciting moments in the preseason. So, of course, he's up there. Uh, Sewell's a baby. He's 20 years old. Like, he's, it blows my mind that this dude can't order a beer sometimes, right? Because he's just such a big guy. Um, he's got the right demeanor for an offensive lineman. I I think 
we're going to see a lot of lumps in this rookie year. You know, more than I, I think people want to see going back to maybe Akuda, right? Like, I don't, I don't think he's going to be 112 out of 115 offensive tackles or whatever, but um, you, you see some of the growing pains and lumps he's going to take in these first couple preseason games, right? Uh, gets gets beat for a sack in the the first game where the uh, another rookie defensive lineman just gets a hand into his chest and it's the worst thing you know you can't let a defensive lineman get that hand in there because once he does it's over it's control um, sees Melvin Ingram in in week two and that's a speed rusher a veteran a savvy guy and I I think it's it's a nice comparison because Taylor Decker went against the Steelers in his first preseason Harrison got him. James Harrison yeah first quarter strip sack i mean just embarrassed him with speed on the edge and that was 35 year old james harrison like you know probably well past his prime not done played three more years or whatever but it it was a it was a wake-up call now the difference was decker was sticking at left tackle which he played in college so was moving to right tackle he's learning to write with his left hand as a right-handed individual it's it's different there's growing pains i i see positive progress i think Panay Sewell is going to be a very good player in this league, but it might not be there in week one. I think he's going to cause some frustration. Probably going to be, you know, we're going to have this podcast next year and is Panay Sewell a bust? Let's pump the brakes. But, you know, this this rookie year might not go as, as smoothly or as dominant as people hope from that position. And that really, you know, once you got one week length, you know, kind of brings down the whole perception of the line itself. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Decker had some bad tape that rookie year, and it's turned out to be pretty good. I mean, you mentioned him. so Just I, had his best year. I mean, Yeah, I, very good. I, I would think he was a top 10 tackle in the NFL. Probably bottom of that top 10, but top 10 tackle in the NFL last year. And that's, yeah, and they got what, that's middle great. of the first round? I mean, you'll take that all day. It was like great. 16th yep. pick or whatever it was. Yep. So we'll move on. We're going to skip. I don't know. Ben, I'm sure he'll throw up the, the Amon St. Brown, uh, Ross St. Brown graphic. We'll, we'll skip him. Oh, no. So up the graphic, Ben. Just let the people see it. It's up to Ben. Yeah. 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 It looks like he, that ball's about to hit him. NFL's right Ricky Davis. Yeah. Like, is he going to throw up a, a board for himself to get that triple double? <laughs> yeah. See, I, that's my I, only Ricky I, Davis memory. That was a, it was this Cleveland Cavalier days. I was going to frame it like, is this guy actually good or is this just a function of like when Ricky Davis would score 20 a game for the yeah. Cavaliers, but they were coached by Paul Silas and they won 12 games a year? It's like, I get it. Like he's showing a lot of stuff, but this team has the worst receiver room, like in the history of the league. No like, is I was gonna frame it like, is this guy actually good? Could this guy go be a good third receiver for somebody else, or is he just looking good because they got nothing and somebody's got to catch the ball? I think you'll like him. Like I said, I think I he's like a, he's a chain mover that runs pretty clean routes. He's not he's not peak physically gifted, you know, over other guys. Obviously, he's so much more physically gifted than you or I, right? But, like, it's always weird talking about relative athleticism. But, like, comparatively to other receivers, like, he's probably average in a lot of ways other than um, kind of that just grittiness, that willingness to go out there and be physical and block. And like I said, the route running's pretty pretty damn good for a rookie. Yeah, Yeah. there's, I mean, unless you're looking to be a number one receiver, that whole athleticism thing at that position is actually kind of overrated. There's a lot of, like... Stumpy, relatively speaking, again, good wide receivers in the NFL. The Patriots have had like a hundred of them, but anyway, we I think you'll see Sam Brown show up a lot on third down. I think that's going to be like kind of his. You got a third and six, like he's going to be along with Hawkinson, like the guys that that help keep drives sustained. And that was Bolden in it's a good Detroit. Role. Bolden it's a good was role. like the ultimate third and six, like yep. just you know a little curl route. He was money. All right, so we'll move on. Make one change at Ford Field. You can do. 
anything. Now I know you don't have the fan perspective. You're, you know, in in Timbuktu in the press box, but it can be how the press box is. If you've walked the concourse, uh, I wish they served elephant ears, whatever, anything. <laughs> it, what would be your one change? Because you 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 go to all yeah. the stadiums. You've seen other what's out there. What's yeah. something that they're not doing that they should? So. Yeah, I want better press box food, but that's not relevant to any fan whatsoever. Bottom five, bottom five. NFL yeah, and we talked food. about that last time. That yeah. was actually a speed round last time. I said, like, I look at me, like food. I, I like food. It's clear. I'm working on it, but uh, the two nicest new stadiums. I, I love, love Minnesota Stadium. I, I tell people this all the time. Like, if you want to go to one Lions road game, like I, I'm not advocating going to Minneapolis in December because it kind of sucks, but like. If you can catch a game in September or October there, early October, like that stadium is incredible. And so what I really like about it is they don't have like, if I'm honestly answering, like you rip the roof off. I, I hate, I hate indoor stadiums. Like I want natural. I, I understand the weather's cold here, but not colder than green Bay, you know, like rip the roof off. Like, but that's, that's a very difficult thing to go back and re weatherproof a stadium or whatever. But the roof in Minnesota is like half, I don't know if it's glass or what, but it creates this immense amount of natural light that comes out that almost makes you feel like you're outdoors. Um, and just, I don't, I, I really, really like that. The other thing about Minnesota is the press box is in the mid level. So you're just, you're, you're, you're in it. Right. So they're doing their, their skull thing, which just looks cool. Like it's just, it's just an impressive looking thing when 60, 70,000, however many people there are doing it, it's loud, it's enthusiastic. Like, and you're kind of in the heart of it, right? Because the press box is open air. Um, just, I love, I love covering games in Minnesota. And so, yeah, I would, I would find a way to bring in more of that natural light. If it's not ripping the roof off, find a way to redo the roof that you're, you're bringing in that sunlight some way, shape or form. It's a crazy, stupid, expensive expense that nobody needs, but that's what I would change. I hate Minnesota stadium, but uh, really? Yeah. Of just on the inside, even. Oh no, the structure is a beautiful stadium. Like Michigan, the outside M- is Michigan like, state lost in the final four. Oh, that's so, a yeah, dumb that's, reason. Stop being emotional. I've only been there once and they, they broke my heart. Cassius Winston had his heart broken. His knee was hurting. Yeah, it was, it was a rough time. So, yeah, it's the worst stadium I've ever been in. I also saw them lose at Ford Field, so I guess uh, they should tear that one down too. Yeah, well, yeah, it's different because I was expecting to get buzzsawed by that they North Carolina team. I wouldn't get buzzsawed. I, well, I was fully expecting that. I, yeah. was, I was expecting us to beat Texas Tech in a tight one. But, yeah, worst stadium ever. They should condemn it and rebuild it. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on. We've got two All left. those dead birds. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. So we'll move it. we got second to the last one. Yeah. I'm going to ask you. We talked about a few of these guys. The Kamala Harris of Detroit's coaching staff. You got president. Oh, I don't follow politics. Can you give me some personality traits that I'm looking do for? Do you here? know that Kamala Harris is the vice president? I do. That's all you have to know. I saw her in the debates. I've seen her do a couple of congressional hearings, but I don't know what's going on with her now. You don't have to know any of that stuff. Okay. I, I'm framing the question. Okay. Dan Campbell is. The president, he's Joe Biden, okay. he's the head coach. Oh, who's the vice president? Who is like the, I mean, I've, you know, is it Anthony Lynn because he's got yeah. the experience? Like, who is sort of like the number two Dan Campbell's right-hand man or the guy that sort of commands yeah. the most presence other than Dan Campbell? Who is it, if there is one? Yeah, no, and I, I would, my initial reaction was to go Aaron Glenn, but the real answer is Deuce Staley. Really? Deuce Staley. So not is, a coordinator. Yeah, so he was brought in. As the assistant head coach, 
and Dan Campbell is grooming him in the same way Sean Payton helped him by giving him extra head coach-like duties uh, in the Saints building. He's trying to pay it forward with Deuce. And um, Deuce felt like he had to get out of Philadelphia where he was beloved, even by the owner there. He had to get out and get a different element on his resume to get that that next opportunity. That was what he needed as a new new line on the resume, right? And so Campbell sold him on the idea that I'm going to give you, I'm going to delegate things to you. I'm going to let you maybe run practice segments. I'm going to give you, not running backs, but I'm going to give you linebackers to scout in the draft to give opinions on in meetings. Uh, I'm going to have you run team meetings. Uh, So yeah, that's, I mean, that's very vice presidential, right? Like you're trying to get that person ready to, to run. But not only that, like when I think of, Harris, again, I go back to my, my biggest memories of her is like seeing her in congressional hearings and she's like HBIC, like she's hard questions and running that shit, like former prosecutor and like Deuce is hard ass. Like he can be like he, you know, guys like to play for him. He brings good energy, but like if he needs to, to bust some balls, like Deuce Staley has no problem doing that. But he's the second, I mean, it's sort of against the term technically, but the second alpha. Yeah. And like I said, Glenn, Glenn very much has that. And I, I genuinely believe that again, if, if the defense is, is successful and as I kind of hinted that I think they might be surprised some people this year, like Glenn is going to be a very hot coordinator. And I look at it like Terrell Austin, right? Like Terrell Austin was a hot coordinator that deserved a head coaching job, but the difference between Glenn and, and Austin is the, the personality. It's the way they command the room. It's the charisma. Um, I love covering Terrell Austin. Like he was fantastic, but he was also kind of too easygoing in some ways. And Aaron Glenn's not easygoing. Like he's very serious, very focused, very smart. You know, 15 years in the league. You don't play 15 years in the league without being smart. The stuff that he did, the guys he developed in that that secondary, they, when he took over the secondary in New Orleans, they were god-awful. One of the worst in the league in terms of passer rating allowed. And he developed some, some studs over there. Yeah, he was given some good draft assets, but he made it work. He worked with personalities, which is another thing. you got to be able to manage egos. Aaron Glenn has it. Whatever it is, he has it. So I think, you know, he's... He's very much destined for bigger things in this league. If they graduate to a middle-of-the-pack defense, I might say, hey, Dan, I appreciate it. Good job with that D coordinator hire. Go grab a Mai Tai. You got five years left on your deal. Go have fun. Uh, Aaron's sliding over. Because I I, mean, I just – everything I've heard about Aaron Glenn is in line with what you're saying. Yeah. I, I just It would be a miracle through no fault of his own if they graduate to that level. I mean, if they're like the 25th best defense in the league, I'd be like, all right, like, yeah. that's real progress. Some more turnovers. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was so bad last year. Like it's in, it was inconceivably bad. The fact they didn't blitz at all, despite getting no pressure. So it's just beyond me. This yeah. is this genius, but you know, he, he was responsible for the greatest defensive play in Super Bowl history. So he's beyond reproach. Just, we'll finish here. Oh, a little fun one for you. Best bourbon you've ever had? Like you, you're going, you're going to your uh, death row uh, final meal here. Which one are you taking? So I just, I only started with bourbon like five years ago, maybe, which is is interesting. Like I just, I think my perception of bourbon was Jack Daniels and, um, 
the like, right? And it that's all it's all disgusting. Like the basic it's like comparing Budweiser to a good beer. Like and I'm sorry for fans of Budweiser. Like I understand, like I'll drink a cold one on a hot day and enjoy it as much as the next guy, but like I'm not going out to buy a 24 pack of Budweiser. It just doesn't doesn't work for me. I'd rather have a nice quality beer that I can enjoy and just so bourbon, I, I started learning more about bourbon through other people. And um, I don't know if it was the best I had, but I think this is the, the story that's most appropriate. I was on a road trip for, for work. I mean, I say where I work because I don't want this to come back on me. I don't know. Maybe it was Detroit News. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? But uh, road trip for work and stop at a, a restaurant for dinner and got a $50 stipend or whatever. Um, and I, I said, hey, do you do you have any, you know, nice bourbons back there and they're like oh yeah we we do have a nice selection you know do you, would you like to send the bartender over i'm like okay so the guy comes over he describes three bourbons that they have and doesn't say anything about the price just describes all this process and it's all over my head i don't know i don't know what he's talking about so i i said well which one do you like best he tells me it's it's a weller and it's an annual release i don't even i don't even know what he says like it, you know, you can't get a bottle. If you find a bottle in secondary markets, like 800, 900 bucks. I'm like, okay, well, what do you guys charge for pour? He says $30 or $35 for two ounces. And I was like, that's, that's not bad. Like my dinner was 20. Like I'm not filing the full receipt. I'll just, here's $55. Like this is what I paid for my dinner. So I got the $35 bourbon. He brings it over and I don't, I don't really know what to expect. I've had some decent bourbons, but I took a sip of this and it was like the first time you have booze, right? Like my face went flush. Like, like it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And like, I would say the quality of like good bourbons, what I've found over years is I like cast strength, right? Like I like the pure uncut stuff. Um, the high APV that, that almost has like that burn, like the really high quality stuff. It, it's almost syrupy, right? Like it, it coats the mouth and kind of lingers that flavor lingers and this flavor just like, one sip just lingered for like five minutes. And it was like, it was just like, I, I was like, shit. Like I just, I ruined bourbon forever. Like I'm never going to find something this good. And I mean, I've had the, the George T stags of the world and they're excellent. And you know, every once in a while I'll be in a mood to spend $25 for, for one drink and enjoy it. But like that, that Weller, that annual release Weller was just, it was just, an experience like that was what made it so great. I'm gonna have to get it on the shelf. Uh, and yeah, I've never tried it, but I'd love yeah. to try it. I know Weller's got you know a bunch of different variants and it's their, their annual release. So if I Google Weller annual release, I think I'm so. Find I mean, you you'd find the one that's up. the hardest. There's I know they have Antique, which is good. I, all the Wellers are pretty tough to find. They're not. A lot of them are not particularly expensive. You get like, uh, you know, whatever state minimums. You know, some of them are thirty five, forty bucks. I think this one is like only like 80 or 120, but it's just so hard to, to find. You, you almost got to go through like, you know, trading. The 800 and hour. We'll yeah. see if Ben's willing to take a We'll see if we can find so it after the store. Yeah. 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 I'm going to look out we'll, wide right We'll give after. him a shot. If it, he'll be, yeah, I'll, I'll, not even a pay cut. I then. pay him in booze all the time. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, this is like the first night he hasn't had a drink next to him. I just, normally he drinks with me. I feel very Are you sure bad, the door's closed? He might be drinking back there. Uh, that's, he said he wasn't tonight. I don't know. Maybe oh, he's sneaking. way to throw me under the bus. Well, I just I felt bad. You know, thank God, just Justin. A disembodied voice. I, I shared I shared, I shared our uh, you know sort of general overview with Justin, and thank God he went running for the bar because I'm sitting here drinking alone like a boozy alcoholic. But anyway, so man. It was awesome to have you. I know it's a hot time for you. This isn't like pulling you in the middle of your off season. This is 
hot for you, like other than the draft, maybe like right up like, there, right? Literally hot today, by the way. Like the last two days, I sweat. Like I sweated buckets. Like it was disgusting out there. Well, that too, but it's, it's like a hundred and hot something. Time in your, it's yeah, literally, it's, but it's it's definitely a busy time of the year. Training camp is is a grind. I mean, it's it's a grind for the players and coaches. I don't, you know, their their grind is different than my grind, but it's it's a pretty daily, you know, demanding thing. Six seven days a week, and it's just what it is. It's part of the job, and um, you know, for for as much as we talked about Campbell, we didn't really get into the media aspect of it, right? It's been a pleasure to cover him. Like it's just different, right? So when you ask this guy a question, you ask Jim Schwartz a question. What do you get? You get a response back that well, your question's faulty premise and I'm smarter than you and you're dumb and here's why. You could ask Jim Jim Schwartz why the sky is blue and he'd tell you the sky's not blue. It's the absence of other colors. Like it's just that's who he was. And then you ask Jim Caldwell a question and Jim Caldwell, hyper professional, but you know, cliche driven, never said anything controversial, kept it by the book, checked the report, you know, things of that nature. Like he was just, you know, he was what he was And Matt Patricia, you know, he, he wasn't Belichick, you know, Belichick gives you that short two word answer, but Patricia would talk in a circle and say a ton of words. And then you'd read it back if you transcribed it. And he said nothing. And you're like, well, now I can't even use it. Cause it's like just rambling and it's nothing. I ask Dan Campbell a question and I get an answer and it's often colorful. Sometimes it comes with a story that's kind of funny, but like we keep asking about injured players and he keeps answering and it just, I feel like I'm staring at him slack jaw when he drops back. Oh, he's got a grade one hamstring strain. He's going to be out for two and a half weeks. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, the guy's giving the coordinates of the injury. Like, like, yeah, if you're looking to target to aggravate, it's, it's just, it's mind blowing how honest he is. And I don't know if it's going to last, if it's going to, you know, he's going to dial back once the regular season starts, but like, it's just refreshing to have question and answer period, like adults, right? Like football, I say this all the time. Football's not that important. It's a game. I know it's a billion dollar industry and you know, it's, it's a toughest place in the world to keep a job more than three years, but like, it's not military secrets. It's not, um, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, like let's chill and relax, you know, and uh, I, I, I've enjoyed the press conferences because I know when I go in and I think of a thoughtful question, Dan's going to answer me and he's going to be pretty straight. And I, I just, I appreciate that. Like it just makes my, I don't hate going to work every day. And there have been points on this job where I just I hate saying that because I know people have worse jobs than me. I'm covering football for a living, but there have been times where I've gone into work and I just hate being there because it's the same stupid bullshit every day of question, cliche, question, cliche. And you're just trying so hard to manufacture something. And I, and I don't feel that right now. Like this was been, it's been the most stress free training camp I've ever had. I haven't, nice. watched, I haven't watched or listened to Lions coach press conferences, not including introductory yeah. press conferences, since Steve Mariucci left. I, not that Mariucci was the most gregarious, but he, sure. g- he gave you something. Like, they've all been bad. I, I just I laugh at, like, Corey Woods from Woodward Sports, who's been a guest here, you know, just got promoted to the beat writer position for uh, Woodward. And it's like, this is the first coach you get? Like, I mean, yeah. the guy doesn't realize yeah. how lucky he is. Well, I've said it for it's years. Like, like I, I would love to cover a Rex Ryan. Like, that's just in my head. Like, Rex Ryan is like that guy that just, you just never know what he's going to say. 
Uh, he's going to criticize a player openly for a mistake and he's just not going to be afraid of, of that. And like, that's what I'm getting in call or not call in Campbell, right? Like, I feel like he's honest about player injuries. He's honest about which players need to improve, which players have made good plays, what he's seen. Like, yeah, he's generally positive in trying to carry these guys across the finish line. Like the way I described him earlier, he's he's an uplifting person in general. But he's not just constantly blowing smoke up their ass. There is stuff to read into what he says, but there's also direct comments that he says. And I haven't, I don't think I've left a press conference this year and said, I got nothing out of that. I left most press conferences dating back to Caldwell all through Patricia, where I left it and go, the whole thing is worthless. When they are two and 15 this year, yeah. I will be if, to get Mr. Uh, you know, Cander, Dan Campbell uh, on the record. I'm going to be feeding you a question about my guy, Sam Howell down there in Chapel yeah. Hill. Cause that's, that's, my guy. that's where you've already settled. Oh, it's settled. That's where I, I, I dream. You're not going to give this Liberty Set- kid some, some time, see no, what he's about? No. It's it could Howell. be like Trey Lance 2.0. I, I, I wish him well. He might be very good. Okay. Sam Howell. I'm, I'm, Sam Howell trained me. I feel like of the people I've surveyed, Rattler is the, the more popular answer. Yeah, but I, to look at that face for like seven years, that might be rough. All right. I'm not engaging in that. Uh, I, I, I just, look, look, I'm not going to. I just. I, I'm sorry. Is like, it punchable? I, I don't even know what he looks like. Isn't he? Chance you kid? I I, oh. I, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. He's a hell of a player. It's not that he's got a punchable face. Like I don't honestly wouldn't want to touch him. I I feel like yeah, whatever. I this is keep it professional. I I feel it, like we already are past that. Well, we're way past that. But I, I just, he's 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 a weird looking guy. Oh, I just I still want to guess. Look, I'm gonna have to look him up tonight. I just want to look at that face for like seven to ten years. Good lord. But anyway, so you're a top five guy in town. I've said it again and yes. again. Your 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 peak of other than draft time peak of your hot point and uh, you know with your job and things going crazy, I wish you well this year. I'm not going to bug you for like at least six months because you know you have to you make your like biannual appearance and I leave you alone. I back off, but I do appreciate you coming. I know there's a lot going on. You do an awesome job. You know I'm a big fan of yours. Last thing before we go, are you a wine drinker too? I know you're a bourbon drinker. I drink some wine. You want our delicious Smuggler Sun bottle here? So it's red. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in on Red uh, That That's our sponsor. Everyone okay. check them out again, virgilsvineyard.com. I was wondering why we hadn't cracked it open during the show. Well, you, you're you going to take it with you. I don't okay. know if your wife drinks red, but she, like. She does. Awesome. It, trust me, man. You'll, you'll be, you'll become. I mean, next- she's like, listen, she's a white woman over 30. Like we all drink red wine, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife's in the same boat. So, yeah. but I'm telling you, you're going to come back in like 10 years. You're going to be like, hey, that sponsor is legit, man. Okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'll go. You said this was your favorite. That's my favorite. It's my favorite. Other, it's my favorite wine under two hundred dollars, and it's not like I'm having a ton of over two hundred dollars wines. But like, like anniversary, do we get to say the price point on? It's. It- uh, I think it retails now at like forty six. Okay, that's it, like that's like the peak I'm spending. So, it, oh, it, it. I mean, it seriously tastes like a hundred plus dollar bottle. It's like the best. The best buy in town. They're awesome and really good. I mean, it's you know they're from here. The uh, wineries out. They're from here. Nap- it says Red Rocky, California. What's going on? I'm, let me finish. No. The wineries in Napa Valley, okay. they have they have a residence there at the winery, but they have a loft in downtown Detroit. Can they, I can I tell another story? You can. I've, I mean, I mean I we're feel just like going to keep going. So your time, but let me just say, well, it's not even a story. Want. Let me just tell you one of my favorite moments covering this Lions team is the Raiders training camp in Napa Valley. I don't know oh, what I got yeah. blessed with with covering 
a week or not a week, but like four days in Napa Valley, right? So like whatever, it's work. But one, the Raiders practice at like a high school and their fans are like so tight in there. It's like Cameron Indoor Stadium out with, you know, Raiders fans, which are the worst. And like they're they're getting into verbal banter with the Lions fans that are sorry, the Lions players that's occasionally dipping toward unsavory. But what an awesome experience because like it was like the Wild West out there, like Lions PR via the Patriot way was so controlling and restricting of everything we did, where we walk on the field, where we stand. We, I mean, I felt like I could go watch at the 30 yard line if they were at the 40 and they wouldn't have cared. Like it was just such a fun, great experience to cover the team in a, in a loose casual environment. And then like, there's the day off. What do I do? Go play golf on a vineyard with Tim 20 men of the lions. Who's great golfer. Uh, just, just, what a, what a great experience play playing where they're growing grapes throughout the holes and you're just playing. California's the best. And man. then, yeah, Chris Burke and I athletic go do some wine tasting. I don't, I don't know. You know, Chris Burke. Yeah. Oh, I well, see. Also ignoring we'll, you. We'll have to talk. You know why? Cause he's in, he's not coming out here. Okay. Okay. But just say that. I mean, the, the fact that I have to get on my knees and beg Chris Burke, it really bothers anyway, me. Anyway, so we went we went wine tasting. Is he a nice guy? Or He's the best. So what did I do to him? I, I mean, know. seriously. Most people always say no. I mean, you yeah. would say no. Dude, Chris Burke and I do all kinds of weird stuff on the road. We went to like a drive through safari on the way to Cleveland. Why? Because <laughs> it was on the billboard and it looked like fun. And it was. But uh, yeah, we did wine sampling in Napa Valley. Played two rounds of golf. I... Would love to go back. Who back. else knows Chris Burke? I got to find someone other than we you to vouch for me because I, I don't trust uh, your reference. Nick, Nick, Nick Baumgartner. Oh, Nick doesn't them. hate me. I'll, t- I'll tell Nick yeah. to, to talk. I mean, they're, they're colleagues. So, yeah. Chris, they've done, they've done Chris is the together. nicest guy in the beat. He is? He's the nicest guy in the He's beat. He's the least responsive. Well, objectively, I've little, had everyone else in here. You're, you're generally pretty off putting, so that makes sense. I get it, but not to the point that I didn't eventually get you all in the chair. I, he's the only one. He's like the one that got away. Yeah, I think it'd probably take him. It'd take him close to hundred minutes to get out here. He's on like Celine. All right, and when, he's got kids. There's precedent he, for he's that. The one doing, he's the one, he's there's the one precedent there. for. Well, just yeah. say that these people that don't respond to emails. Like I'm, they, I'm apparently his business manager now, and I'm saying it for when him. when people like I love when a journalist no comment something. Just the irony of that always cracks. It me is up. pretty funny. It's just like come on, like don't no comment me. But anyway, appreciate yeah. you being here. We'll we'll talk some juice after this if you don't have to run right out the door. I got a quick question for you. That's going to be a torture to the audience still with us, but I'm excited to have you back in six to you know a hundred months. You're always welcome. Thank you quickly to Ben Augusta, the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the curtain. Thank you to Eric Williamson. He's probably asleep by now. Normally, I would say he's on his couch and his boxers watching the show. I'm sure he's asleep, but. Thank you to Eric, our graphic and set designer. Thank you to our sponsor, Virgil's Vineyard, the Smuggler's Son. Check him out. My man, Justin Rogers, walking out of here with a bottle. We appreciate you. We will be back. We have a couple interesting ones in the next 10 days. Uh, We are bringing Becca Polanski in to talk about convicts and people hacking up their wives and psychology of that. So that's a bit of a deviation from the sports. What is this path. like a true crime podcast now? Well, we mix. I it might in. actually listen to this you is a when good I'm friend, not on it. This is a good friend of mine who is a clinical psychologist whose job is to work in the prison system and like try to. It, she does both. She assesses them, yeah, and also like tries to rehabilitate them. I'm. I can't. We we already had like a good show. It's gonna be awesome. We had to cancel it because her employer found out about it and kiboshed it. <laughs> 
but she's actually leaving that job for a different prison system. So I'm getting her right between the two Smart. jobs. Yeah. Smart. So we're, we got it back. So that one's coming. We have uh, Anthony Ayani coming on any day now. We're working on that. Michigan State basketball player. Great book of his just came out about being the, I, I think he was the first like openly um, autistic basketball player who like talked about his experiences and playing college basketball on the spectrum. I actually just got his book yesterday. I'm two chapters in. It's awesome. Couple others in the works. We'll be with you. Thank you again, Justin Rogers, Smuggler's Son, Ben Augusta, Eric Williamson. Thank you to Comcast for being our internet provider. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you. We'll be back later this week, probably. Screw Avenue Show, Justin Screw Thank you.